everybody, and welcome to another episode of Movie Mumble, your monthly movie exploration discussion podcast where four friends seek to broaden their cinematic horizons. I'm your host, Scott Murray, and I am joined today by fellow lost souls and world travelers, Joel Lewis. Bonjour. Sorry, I fumbled your name there. It's Joel, <laughs> not Joe. Tim Gerard. Hello. And Zeke Perez. Hello. Hello, hello. Thank you all for joining me again. For those of you unfamiliar, Movie Mumble is a monthly podcast where we take turns picking a movie, watching it, and then talking about it. There are no rules. We can pick any film at all, whether we've seen it before or not. Um, the general concept is that we get more out of cinema when we share it with each other, and that's proven to be true many times. At the end of each month, we'll announce what we're watching next month, so you can watch along with us if you'd like. And we do spoil everything we talk about. So if you're worried about that, please watch a film before you listen to its Movie Mumble episode. This month, Joel was our movie selector, and Joel brought us Playtime, a really delightful French film, which I, I don't know, every time I see a French film, I keep thinking I need to watch more French films. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it happened again. Joel, would you like to tell us more about your pick and how you discovered it and why you brought it? Yeah, so uh, this is directed by, starred in basically everything by Jacques Tati, um, who is a French dancer, choreographer, mime, comedian, director, amazing, Charlie Chaplin-esque. Renaissance of Virtuoso. Yeah. Um, so film came out in 1967. I saw it much later than that. <laughs> uh, I, this is something I discovered in quarantine. Um, so it's only been three or four months that I have had this in my, my top five favorite films. Um, it's something that I had in going through my criterion collection canopy subscription, like looking at things that looked interesting to me. And I had added this to the list and then just watched it out of the blue one day and fell in love with it. Um, it's something that like just the cover art on canopy is kind of this weird architectural industrial, um, facade. And that was really what interested me in it. And, uh, I, I put it on and it just, I, I, I couldn't pry my eyes away from the thing. It, it just, it kind of infected me from, from the very first set piece, I guess, like that very alien airport that you're not quite sure is an airport until, very late in in discovering this this kind of strange landscape of alien it almost feel felt sci-fi when when it was starting um and i went in with very little context um so it, it, i've watched it and I, i've read essays on it and eventually i bought the criterion collection uh blu-rays of all of tati's films and i'm so grateful that i did i was discovering yesterday when i was watching it that uh, there's a scene select audio commentaries from four different scholars and their multi scenes each of and the first one was 45 minutes i booted up like i was going to watch it before bed and it was 48 or 45 minutes and i was like i need i need to wait until i'm awake to watch this so i was thinking it would be a real brief thing but these are obviously pretty long scenes and sequences it's fascinating to me it, it it's it's infectious it's strange it's it's delightful it, it, it it's it's funny but not laugh out loud funny i yeah we there's a whole discussion of like the nature of this kind of humor that we can get into um summarizing the plot is going to be a bit of a task um there is not quite a lot of plot there is, we follow monsieur hulot who is this um rural french figure that 
um, Jacques Tati played in many of his films. Um, this is a direct sequel to his film Mon Oncle, which is, you kind of get to know Monsieur Hulot more intimately in that film, kind of his relationship to his, um, I think it's his brother-in-law and his sister and his nephew and kind of this rural sensibility that he has and how he's kind of incompatible with modernity. And that's kind of, that's, that's a reoccurring theme in his films, obviously. This is, this is no exception. So it's a series of sequences where they follow kind of this uh, um, travel agency group, these group of tourists from America, um, kind of moving through these industrial landscapes as Hulo is also, and it, it just kind of interacting and producing hijinks and these, these large long form farces and physical comedy constructs. And it's just that it's 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 testament. Much of the the industrial landscapes and the buildings that are in this film did not exist previous to the film. They built those as set. They were not found uh, um, artifices. And that this is a movie that nearly bankrupted Tati. It took a long time for him to do another film after this. Um, it was originally filmed for seventy mil, which was at the time a new format it was the biggest widest screen that you could see anything on and it uses i mean anybody with like on my tv i wish it had been bigger because there's some sequences that you really need to see like there's so much detail in all of these sequences um but yeah the, the there's not much plot to summarize hulo and this uh there's a very pretty uh girl from the the u.s who it kind of follows her around paris as well um, but it, it's mostly just these weird and wacky situations that they, Hulo ends up tumbling through. Um, so that, that's, that's the summary <laughs> as best as I can manage. Yeah, that's a fair enough. It's, it's more just about what happens to him and the life of the city, you know, one of those movies, right? <laughs> mm. So you've covered you know how you found it why you brought it to us um let's move on to first impressions i think but let's start with tim and zeke you can go first Zeke. together no do it together in unison (laughs) (laughs) uh i i I, I hate to follow i hate to follow joel so but i'll but i'll do it uh i I don't know i I don't think it's my cup of tea but i want to like not come off and bash it because there was a lot that I liked, but I think the most simple way to say it is that uh, I like reading about it more than I liked it in the moment itself of watching it. Um, I don't know, Joel, like you said, if it's just the plot or like the lack of the plot, right? Where times where I was just like, okay, like, can we get it going? Or, um, I want you know, something I to like, happen. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then the, the humor, there were tidbits that I liked, but then there was a lot of it that felt like um, kind of that like humor. Uh, that kind of is just like long and drawn out and like it gets funnier the longer it goes on that sort of thing but like I don't know for whatever reason when I was watching it it felt just too dragged on too long Um, and then so like I don't know I I feel as though I enjoyed reading about it more than watching it because all of the things you mentioned were really cool to me the fact that he had such a big budget to build a whole set for this world Um, you know all of the different ways that he shot scenes so that I really liked how everything was shot and how everything looked. 
Um, but just for whatever reason, for me, the, the humor didn't quite land as much and the, the story itself, because there wasn't one, didn't land as much. I will say that, you know, I, I really liked the commentary that it had, right? I think it had a lot to say about a lot of issues that were ahead of its time. And I'm sure that was one thing too, and we can get into this later, but watching it now, right? And you see the cityscape, it feels very much day to day now. I'm sure at the time in Paris, right? It's, it's looking at this futuristic world and it was very ahead of its time in calling those things out. Um, so I do appreciate it for that. And, and I'm willing to admit that I'm probably wrong on this one, right? Because it's on so many, you know, it's on like the British Fast 100 movies list and it's on, um, you know, it's highly, it's in the Criterion Collection. It's high on Rotten, whatever you want to measure it by, Rotten Tomatoes, whatever it is, right? It, it does really well. Um, but just for me, I think, it, it, you know, certain parts of it didn't land, certain parts of it did really land. Um, it gave me a lot to talk about, but yeah, I wouldn't catapult it, I don't think, into like my favorites or or anything like that. Um, so I don't want to be a downer. <laughs> no. That's how I was feeling about it. Well, you know, I, I, well, you'll probably be happy, Zeke, that I'm going after you because I, I felt very much the same. <laughs> um, it was like, I sort of my, my summary of it, I was like, it, it reminded me of Pink Panther, but not funny. You know, it kind of had that, that similar sort of vibe, you know, like with the Frenchman kind of bumbling through experiences and, and it took me a while to kind of realize it was supposed to be funny in some ways, you know, like, you know, I think because, you know, Pink Panther is more, more obvious, more, more ridiculous, you know, but like once I had that image in my head, it wasn't like I was like, be as funny as Pink Panther, but it was definitely like, yeah, like, yeah, that's funny. And I, I, I get that this is meant to be funny, you know, and I, I don't want to say supposed to be funny, like it's, like, it's not funny, but they were trying too hard, but it's like, okay, like that's, you know, like I said, once the comparison was in my head, it's like, okay, you know, he's no Clouseau, you know, kind of thing. Um, <laughs> um, and I, I, and it was interesting too, yeah, after I read sort of the, the idea of it, you know, the, the technology, like, so then it was kind of like, okay, so it's kind of like Koyaanisqatsi, but with a cast of people who don't really do anything, you know? So it was kind of like, and I think that was part of the thing too, is like seeing the people I was like, okay. And, and, you know, I think about an hour into it, you know, Krista was like, what's it about? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> like for so much of it, I was just like, who is the main character? Like, I, you know, I kept thinking, you know, it's like, especially at the beginning in the airport, which again, after a while, I was like, okay, that's the point. You know, there's just people passing by and all these groups of people. And, you know, we start with those, those two nuns with their weird habits that are like flopping up with in step. I was like, okay. Like, yeah, and then you have the two people. Habits. Yeah. And then you have like the, the, the two people and the woman's telling her husband, oh, put your scarf on, you know, and it's like, oh, okay, so we we're following that, you know, and it just, it was, it was very disorienting, but like, you know, again, looking back on that scene, it was like, oh, okay, yeah, it's because that's what an airport is. There's just, you know, momentary kind of glimpses at different groups of people and then we move on to the next thing. And uh, like that janitor who kept kind of like looking at stuff and it's like, oh, okay, I mean, I guess he's going to be important. And, and, and then he wasn't, uh, okay. And um, so it took me a while to, you know, again, because I didn't know there were other films with that main character in it, who once he appeared, oh, here's our hero. It was just kind of like, you know, it took me a while to accept that he was the main character because it's like, we've been introduced to other characters that have just gone by the wayside. So it's like, I don't, I don't know who to latch onto. And, you know, like Zeke, I also appreciated it visually. 
like you know it looked it looked really cool it was it was it was definitely like a spectacle to to see um and uh i you know, I, I liked a lot of the recurring themes that kept popping in, like when they would close a glass door and you would see the, the, the building or the structure kind of reflected. Like, it's like, you know, I caught all those. It's like, okay, that's cool that there are these kind of visual cues, these visual, you know, recurring themes. Um, some of the, some of the little gags, I feel like, like so much of it was like, so well orchestrated. It was kind of like, you know, again, like I wasn't like, oh, this is funny. And, and, and I wasn't super entertained by it, but it's like, I could see the construction of it and, could appreciate that but then there were other gags that came in that i was just kind of like this is too a little too heavy-handed like the one with the whole the priest standing in the the, the drugstore with the o becoming a halo over his head <laughs> and i was like okay like this this you you tried way too hard and but it was also easy like the priest is just standing there waiting for that to light up whereas i feel like everything else when a joke would land it would be timed so perfectly so that it would kind of lock into place all at once um, so there were moments like that that I was kind of like, okay, that's that's a little a little obvious. Um, I, I did love the gag with the broke door, the broken door, the broken glass. Like I saw that coming, and I was like, okay, this is what's going to happen, you know. Um, and again, I wonder if it's one of those things that, that influenced a. Um, so I feel like it would have been the type of gag that was in like a, a Pink Panther movie, but I was like, well, that might have influenced something like that, you know, and kind of seeing the the origin of one of those those gags. Um, but uh, yeah, and I, I did find myself getting frustrated at certain times. Um, and, and this happens like with, with a lot of stuff where I, you know, I get when you have these, these near miss encounters and, you know, when they're kind of done in such a way that's like, uh, again, so well orchestrated that it's just, they're believable. But the one where he saw the guy's reflection across the way and the guy was like three, four feet to his left. And it was like, oh, I'm coming. It was just like, no, no, I don't buy that. I don't buy that. Like the reflection he's seeing is like as convincing and that he's totally oblivious to this guy in his peripheral vision. You know, like I, so there were moments like that where I was like, okay, this is going the, the, the way of like, uh, you know, this is how we're, we're putting this scene together. Um, and it very much did. It reminded me of a play too. It, it had that sort of vibe, you know, where it's like, okay, we're on stage and we have this set and we're going to make use of every little piece of this set and going backstage. It reminded me of a, um, I mean, I haven't seen a lot of plays like that, but it reminded me of Noises Off. That's one of the ones I've seen in the movie, and, you know, where everything is kind of timed and coordinated and like these, these kind of misunderstandings of things because of how it is. Like, like when he kept following the guy because of his footsteps, but then he would walk on the rug and then he would lose track of him because he couldn't hear him anymore. And it's like, you know, like, so, so things like that, I, I, I kind of, again, like appreciated the way it was put together. But I was also like, wait, I'm not sure why he's following this guy. And, you know, and again, it's like, are, are we going to find out? And, and I guess if I knew that the, the, the motivation of what was propelling people forward wasn't going to be important, I could have sort of like relaxed, but I was like very intent on paying attention because I thought that it was going to come up and it was going to be important. And I was going to need to remember that. So I was almost like too focused on that part of it instead of being able to kind of sit back and, and enjoy the situation play out. You know, if I knew if it was more of a MacGuffin, you know, it's like this, this guy doesn't matter. And what he has to talk to him about doesn't matter. He just, he has to find that guy for some reason that's going to drive him through this first half of the movie. So, yeah, so I think that was kind of, it was almost like distracting me. Um, I, I, one of the scenes I loved though, was the, the, well, okay. I'll, I'll save that to my favorite scene. Uh, 
but yeah, uh, excuse but yeah you so they're jumping the gun here. i know i know i know <laughs> i was on a roll well I, th- I think part of it too is i also felt bad about being like i didn't really like it but it's like there were parts that i did like and it's like okay but we'll yeah we'll come back to those. these are some mm-hmm. of my favorite episodes we'll though like that that's that's one of my favorite things is to have a conversation about it not having liked it like i'm i'm very excited about this and i am really this this is my pilot episode of joel not feeling defensive so like <laughs> that that's i i'm i'm really interested to talk about that well i am the complete opposite i i bought it as in i didn't quite i almost bought it because it's still january and holiday spending is still looming but oh i thought you meant be... you bought the movie like conceptually you I mean, literally almost bought it i literally almost went out and bought it the moment i finished it i was immediately in love it's perfect i yep, got a tag it, team match i need it everything <laughs> about this i have never felt quite so seen i guess in terms of a as a traveler right as someone who's been places that are both familiar and totally confusing at the same time, whether that's just an unexpected airport for a layover or certain parts of this, my, my time in Spain that didn't go the way they were supposed to or the parts that did go the way they were supposed to, but that I wasn't prepared for or just road trips in the U.S. I, something about just being in another place that isn't your normal place, right? It Everything about that was perfectly encapsulated in this. The, the way things only seem to exist solidly if you inspect them and not if you don't but then the way the living people from those other places constantly move through your own existence as full realized people and then out again as quickly is it's just it's hard to describe it's a sort of flowy feeling um and everything about it was just perfect and then on top of that I got this really phenomenally choreographed series of gags I your your pink panther analogy is perfect I wrote down this is Cluzo on his day off, right? But, <laughs> right. There's no Cato in this. Yeah. But it is, There's no case to solve. <laughs> it's Pink Panther without the goofiness, I guess, which isn't to say that that part is bad. I mean, I love the Pink Panther movies, but I, I honestly don't, I don't have another analogy. Almost like Airplane, but if Airplane took itself seriously, Right? Does that make sense? And which I sort it of, does not. <laughs> which does not. Which is, I mean, it's great. I love Airplane, but I, there's something about both types of humor that are sort of the two types of main types of humor that i love if that makes sense right the one that like finds the absurdity in the everyday and does it by being normal or at least acting normal and then the other that just decides to take everything and run as far as it can right and i this felt very much like the other side of that and i just i i loved it i absolutely i loved the the city which i knew must have been built for the film but also thought, how could some of this have been built for the film? Some of this must be real, and I, it's not. And it, it's just astounding. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I need to see the rest. I need to see them with you, sir. So I, I'll cut in here about the other ones. Um, they're good. What I would say and caution you is you're never going to find this again. Okay. Mononcle find- is the closest... Because of its proximity to this one, as this sure. is the direct sequel. Am I going but to find other parts of the character or other aspects of life it, being it, sent up? There is a lot about taking a holiday. Sure. 
And there's a lot about the inaccessibility of modernity and technology. Mm-hmm. Um, we learn a little bit more about Yulo. I, I think like what uh, Mononcle and these are like, these are a good, if you watch any two, those are the two to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not watched um, Parade, I believe is the, his final film that was made for TV. All the other ones I have seen, um, they're all, there is stuff to like in it and the gags are there's certain gags that really stand out um but nothing as consistent as this i think mon oncle is a close second i think that one is definitely there's a lot that stands out in that film sure. as well but th- i would not recommend watching them if you like them that's oh yeah i'll, I'll say that i'm excited um, <laughs> yeah so do you want to start us off on favorite scenes joel then, well that could be podcast by itself uh, <laughs> sure, but, you know, before we move too broadly into to Jacques Tati's work yeah do we want to sure recover playtime a little bit yeah so I I have so many favorite moments in this film um and it's hard to say scenes because they're so long because the whole restaurant sequence is is That's half the fucking itself. movie yeah um but what I when when you see the kind of doorman who at the, the, um, the agency that Hulo visits and a guy comes up to the doorman to get a, a light for his cigarette and he walks up to do it. And then you realize it's a plate glass window and he has to go around to the entrance that like the, 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 and that's the thing. So much of these gags are things you could only do with a camera. And I think that's why I love it so much is like the regardless of like lack of plot, there's very lack, little dialogue. What everything on screen is important because it's all contributing to the gag. The, the amount, Tim, what you were saying with the, the reflection across the way is is all about how you can see it through the camera. And I, I obviously like you, you're suspending your disbelief because he's right the fuck there. Like he's very close, but just the camera trick of capturing that many panes of glass to, to trick the camera into that distance is so intellectually stimulating and cool to me. Like that, those get like, I think most of my favorite scenes have to do with reflections and playing with the glass. Um, I love the moment where the Yulo is visiting his uh, old army buddy at his f- apartment and he leaves and he sends his wife and his daughter away and he goes to like take off his clothes. And because the TV is this almost like window between the two apartments, it looks like the woman on the other side is sitting back and watching him strip. Like it's just such a, a, a titillating and, and like, clever use of that device like where they put the tv how one side is informing the other side um and then uh, just another small gag so i don't talk about every frame of the fucking film um when uh hulo goes to get onto the bus and the the guy has brought the the lamp and people have mistaked mistaken the lamp for a railing to hold on to but he does it and this is the one moment in the whole film that he kind of he re, he, he it's almost a wink to the audience is like i know what's going to happen here so he grabs onto a real railing and as they move he grabs the one that's the the lamp to save them from falling like so it's such a it's like a really clever small moment that hulo realizes once that he can prevent the farce 
prevent the gag from hurting somebody else. I, I really love that moment. So those would be my my favorite three. Should we go back in the order we did with the uh, first impressions? So Zeke, do you want to start us off there? I can do that. Um, so for me, I, you know, I, I think I'll start with the opening sequence because it's interesting. Um, I don't know. At the same time, it really did pique my interest, but it really did bore me too, right? <laughs> like we're sitting there in the airport and the, the husband and wife or whoever having a conversation about his interview, he's eager, right? And, and Tim, as you mentioned, you get the janitor and you're like, okay, who's this janitor? Is he going to be important? You focus on him. And then you get other people and then other people and then the angles change a little bit and you get the same hallway, but you get it from different angles and different people coming in and out. Um, and Scott, so that's your, that's to your point about the, the floaty feeling, right? When you travel and you're in the airport and you're just taking it all in all these different pe people with all their different stories, you get the American tourists who come in, um, which I really did like the, the, the American tourists and their portrayal throughout. Um, so I was kind of hooked in at the very beginning, like, okay, who's going to be important, who's not, and kind of trying to track every single person who's coming into frame, coming out of frame. And then it kept going. And then. I was kind of bored of it and it never really pinned down to like one person or one group of people. Um, but at the same time, I really liked seeing the same set from different angles and, and seeing new people be introduced. Um, right. It's such a maze of a hallway that just tilting the camera from here, you know, from the right side to the left side changes a lot of the perspective and changes what they're trying to tell you and what they're trying to show you. So I really did like that. Um, but again, I don't know. It's just this weird feeling of like, okay, I'm hooked. What's going on? And also, okay, the scene was 10, 15 minutes long. Like, can we just, what's, just tell me something. Tell me what's going to happen. Tell me what I need to know. Who do I need to care about? Mm -hmm. uh, just being a little bit torn. Like it was building suspense, but for nothing. And I thought it was building su suspense for a big reveal. And just that wasn't there. So I was kind of a little bit torn on that one. Um, were you going to say something there, Joel? Yeah, just something I, I was fascinating about that scene is like, as you're introduced to the many, many characters, it's like everybody's on their own track. Mm -hmm. Like it's so moment to moment specific, the choreography. Everybody has their own cadence. Everybody is like moving in, in this very specific way. Yeah. Um, and I, I, again, watching it the first time, I was not sure where we were. It felt very otherworldly. It felt very 1984. Like there's these big... Mm -hmm letters kind of denoting last names or something and then there's a bathroom that kind of but it looks very strange it's like a cubicle with a bathroom and so it, it just felt and the flying nun thing also is really kind of like odd and it doesn't really pan out or anything. okay i have to no that's normal that's like a standard no but the movement the image, movement of right? it yeah but no yeah. the flying nun is obviously a construct but i don't I mean, know I, if I've i saw that in, in my children's books like okay. that was so so French. That was one of the few normal things in the whole film for me. I don't know. Gotcha. I don't know. Uh, sorry. All right. Oh. No, that's okay. Yeah. I, I just, I was really, the first time I was just like, everybody's like on the, it's like a, a, a Christmas toy or train set where like all the little things move around and the villagers come out and the, the clock goes like it, it, this all, tiny world. Like, so it was, it, and it's really kind of unsettling and alien yeah. about, yeah, it seemed very sci-fi and what happens here? What is significant? What And the sound design is incredible in that sequence as things, and you kind of, it, it's another one of, it's like Stalker where there's no, everything is foreground. Everything is significant 
because nothing is significant. Mm -hmm. And that that's really fascinating to me is like, and the first time I watched, like I was instantly hooked. It's like, what is this? And at the end of the movie, it's like, what happened? Nothing happened. <sighs> and so, but it, what, what this time watching it through, I was very much aware of like, just letting myself kind of, it, it's like stalker on, on the rail car as they're going into the zone, like just in the monotony. And I guess this is a theme in the things that I'm picking, I guess is like, I'm really fascinated by the camera treating you as participant rather than viewer mm. um because this is i mean this is, whole movie is an exercise in dramatic art irony nothing is significant plot wise but everything about set dressing and setting up the gag is so it doesn't matter who is interacting but what matters is that you know that okay the glass to the door broke and they they swept it up but then the manager was there. So they pretended it was ice and they put it in the bucket of champagne. And then when it got to the table, the guy who drank it was like, this isn't cold. And he got ice and put it to his head. and It didn't feel right. So he went to go get medicine and he went to take the medicine. And when Hulot takes it and takes a drink of it, that all those little interact, like every part of that is significant, but none of it is about character. None of it is about story other than setting up the next gag. So yeah, that, that was really long winded. Sorry. No, but yeah. I, I really love the opening sequence too. Like it, it's so, so weird and alien and these guys are like on little tracks, but yeah, like that, that's, it's definitely not trying to tell you a story at all. <laughs> and that, that's, that's one of the problems. And maybe that's the theme for me is I hate the French. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. No, I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, it's just the, um, I don't know. I feel like so. Walker was I Russian. <laughs> I don't know. You well, hate Europe. I, I hate Europe. I hate anything not American. <laughs> if you, yeah. Um, Let's isolate that. <laughs> um, I don't know. I so maybe it's just how I've trained myself to watch movies, right? Because in that opening scene, right up front are the are the husband and wife talking yeah. about you're going to be good for your interview and, and don't worry about it and like you're you have an appointment right and all these things. So I'm focusing on them and I'm focusing on trying to read the subtitles. And then I also see things going on in the background. And so I don't know, for whatever reason, like you said, right, those things aren't important for the plot. They're important for gags, but not for the plot. And maybe I'm just trained to think like, okay, I need to be paying attention back there because that's where the plot is. And I'm focusing my attention there. And then when it doesn't reveal itself to be the plot, then I'm disappointed. So maybe it's just how, uh, you know, the movies I, I watch or, cause this was a very unique, movie for me in general it's a very unique comedy for me um you know so maybe it's just a tone thing maybe it's just something i'm not familiar with and it's kind of challenging what i'm used to but i think those are kind of the challenges for me right like expecting more story driven stuff um than than it provided uh so but but no i, I like your your breakdown of it and your recap because that's you know that definitely helps how i think about it um the other scene i i, I was thinking of and it's a weird kind of another oxymoron or like some contrasting feelings. I thought the scene where uh, Barbara is trying to take the picture of the flower lady, <laughs> I thought that, I thought that was really funny. Right. So she's trying to take the picture and then someone's in her shot and she says, Hey, can you move? And then someone comes from, you know, from the background and gets in the shot. 
And then two guys from the left come in and get in her shot. And then someone comes to the right, gets in her shot. And then someone comes in and offers to take the picture of her and the flower lady and <laughs> makes a whole new shot. And she keeps moving. I don't know. I thought that was funny and it was dragged out, but it, I, I was kind of chuckling the whole time. Like, okay, here's, here's some humor that I can agree with. Um, at the same time, the, the scene where um, Hulo's waiting, I think it was Hulo, he's waiting for uh, someone in, I think that's when we're in the office sequ sequence and the doorman is waiting with him and the guy's coming down the really long hallway. And I, I feel the dumbest for saying it this way <laughs> because it, but it's the only thing that I have to compare it to. I don't watch 1960s French films regularly. <laughs> so pardon me while I try to like put it in my frame. But to me, it was a family guy gag where <laughs> Peter Griffin's on the ground holding his knee, <laughs> like, you, you know, and it's like, okay, it's not funny. And then 30 seconds in, okay, I'm laughing. He keeps going. It's funny. And then 45 seconds in, okay, it's still a little funny, but it's going on a little long. Then a minute in, it's like, okay, shut the fuck up, Peter Griffin. Like, And so like the guy's coming down the hallway and I'm laughing. You know, he comes and it just keeps taking forever and I'm laughing. And then, then I got fed up with it, right? And so I don't know. I don't know what it was about that or the movie, but there were certain scenes where I was laughing and I was having a good time and it was long and drawn out. And like, I love how drawn out it is. And there were other scenes where it was drawn out and it was getting on my nerves. So <laughs> I'll say the lady, ta Barbara taking the picture was a favorite scene. Guy walking down the hallway was not. And that kind of sums up how I feel about the movie as a whole, I think. You remind me of the the DMV from Zootopia with the loss. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love. Because I love that. <laughs> I and love Peter Flash. Griffin, right. Like right. sometimes it works. <laughs> And sometimes yeah. it doesn't. And I can't mm -hmm. pin down why. So right. uh, Terry Jones was one of the uh, Monty Python uh, troop members. He was the only member of the troop that liked Tati. There's there's a couple of, like sketches where he does very Tati and things. Um, but the scene in Holy Grail, when John Cleese's Lancelot is running towards the mm -hmm. the castle mm -hmm. and it keeps restarting from the same distance same. i i i am now convinced <laughs> is a direct reference to that scene and where it hasn't it's gotten any closer and then no. stab right and that's that like they kind of they do a, a variation on the theme of the joke because it's not sending it's not actual distance it's just the same sequence the same sequence the same sequence <laughs> And it's one of those things, like I was watching it this time and I remember being really frustrated watching it the first time and watching it this time. I was like, that's a long hallway. Like if you were waiting there, that's how long it would take. I'm not defending it in a cinematic sense. Cause this is a, this is movie magic. You built a fucking set. This could, but like the gag is so it's like super realist. Cause it's like <laughs> really, and the, the, the sound I, it's 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 a uh, uh, sound editing marvel to have that much sound from his walking increase that incrementally. Like, yeah, it, it's definitely it's very Peter Griffin s too. I didn't even think about that. I also like the part of that scene how he keeps like going to get up at the doorman's like, no, no, wait. No, no. It's like yeah. I can hear him coming. It's like, no, no, you have to wait here. Like, like I thought that that was the part that, that I liked about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like with the cigarette, he kept like putting it down. Like, oh, okay, well, now you know, while I'm waiting, I'll, I'll you know take a few drags. Like, okay, I'll put it back there. You know. Tim, what were some of your favorite moments? Um, I think like my my favorite moment, and but again, this was one of those things that geared me up for something, and then it didn't sort of pan out. Was um when 
when he's at that building waiting for the guy and he, I don't know if he takes that, that American guy in for an interview and the American guy comes out and he's like brushing his, and and like, so first of all, just the fact that like, I I do like how Americans are portrayed in, in in movies other than that are made in America. And that's why um, meaning of life is my favorite of the Monty Python stuff, because it's like, this is, this is what we think of, of American comedy. And I fucking love it because I love all that comedy, but I also love that they're doing this parody of, of Americans and, and the way they, when, when, when people who aren't from America talk like Americans, you know, I, I get a kick out of that. And it, it reminds me a lot of the way I kind of remember people from, from back home, we'll say M- more so in, in Boston than in Rhode Island. But like, and I can't remember if it was you, Joel, or if it was you, Scott, who was working in the ID office at the time. But I was in there talking to one of you, and someone came in, and I, w- I immediately was like, this guy's from Boston. Because he came in, and he's like, yeah, I need a new card. <laughs> and he was like, not only like the, the way he pronounced it, but he was just louder than anything <laughs> than anyone else had been talking throughout my day that day. And then he's sitting there while, which whichever one of you was making the card, he's just like, oh. He's just like fidgeting around. Ah, oh, for Christ's sake. It's like- A man who imposes his existence upon everyone else in right. the room. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the, the typical like man spreader kind of thing. And it was just like, and I like, I was trying not to lose it because I'm like, I don't want this guy to know. I'm just like laughing directly at him. <laughs> but it's like, but it's like, yeah, it's like, it's like, it's, it's a vibe, you know? And I feel like it's, it's that kind of thing where it's like, oh yeah, this is what Americans sound like. This And, and that guy was it. You know, you've got this, this kind of gentle old man who's kind of trying to negotiate his way through his surroundings and, and, you know, be as subtle as pot. Oh, I don't want to sit on this chair. This chair made too much noise. What? Mm-hmm. Okay. This chair also makes noise and, you know, slips and falls, you know, as much as he's trying to like <laughs> not affect the area. And then he, we've got this guy who's just owning his space and I'm going to slap my legs and slap my hands, make as much noise and, you know, d- click my pen, you know, and it was just like, yep, that's, that's it. You, you hit the nail on the head. <laughs> but the other half of that was also like it just how like rhythmic and musical all of that was you yeah. know and i feel like we kind of got set up for okay he's making all this sound on these chairs and the chairs are making sounds and you know different sounds and you know and and, and then this guy comes out and and you know i guess that was more part of it the how how he was very timid about making noise but then the american comes out and he's like owning all of his sounds and and making it musical and i almost started to think like oh is this like is this what this is or at least this scene is is like is there like an underlying music to this that you know i was almost going to wonder if it was going to become something like baby driver you know where all of a sudden music would come in and the way they're interacting would have this this rhythm that's that's um participating with the background music or something like that and and at that point i started getting like really interested you know and 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 like and then it, it didn't happen. And I was like, oh, okay. okay. Well, th- but it was still cool for what it was. Like, I liked how, like I said, number one, the portrayal of an American, but then number two, you know, the, like how musical that all of that was. Um, and then, uh, you know, and then of course he kind of goes off and does his thing and you get that other moment again, where there's this like din that's happening down on that like sales floor, whatever it was with all the cubicles and all this stuff's kind of happening. And again, all of the sound is at one base level. So you're not drawn to any one thing in particular. And then there's the American guy, 4,000,029,009. It's like shoots up above everything else. It's like, yep, right. th- okay, there you go. Yep, that's it. So that was, that was one of my, one of my favorites. Um, and then I also liked 
uh, I liked a lot of the stuff in the restaurant. I feel like there was a, there were there were a lot of funny gags there. Uh, I liked how everyone kept having the the mark from the chairs on their back, um, and I like that um, that became like a, a stamp to get into like little private club. Like when the when the the, the that like all that stuff kind of fell down, but it fell down like in like a pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I I I wondered, and I don't know. I, I forgot to look into this, but the way that stuff kind of fell and then the thing fell behind it, it almost reminded me of like, a, a, I think it's Rothko. I might be wrong on who the artist is, but I feel like I've seen art like that where there are these like borders and then kind of like colors within the borders and like where the stuff is very sectioned off, very kind of bold. And then you'll have like, you know, yeah, like a diagonal line, which kind of breaks up this idea of right angles. And for a split second, it looked like one of those paintings. Like I said, it may not be the the, Rothko may not be the artist. I feel like I get him confused with another artist. Um, so I'll have to look into it. But um, I really like that, like visually how that happened, but then how he turned it into like a VIP section. You know, and again, it's it's the American who's the loudest one there. You know, he's kind of coming in, like making it his own. Um, and then my other favorite little moment that I was just like, this, this kind of like actually almost made me chuckle to myself. And it was so silly and so stupid, but so great when they go up to where like the food's coming out and he, he's like, Hey, open the, and he slides it up and he puts the sticker. He's like, Hey, Napoleon. <laughs> it was just like, Oh man, that, that, that is, that is funny. That, you know, like. I didn't notice that the first time I watched it this time I was like, Oh, that's, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Like it was, it was silly, but it was like, but it, but it worked and it, and like, and it, it, like it, it didn't have the same sort of obvious setup that, like I said, the halo did with the priest. Right. Um, but, but it was like, you know, it was, and again, it was a very obvious gag, but I feel like the fact that it was the person doing the gag, not that, um, you know, nobody in the scene is, is aware, but you, the audience are, and it's a wink to you. It was like, he was the one doing the gag and like being obvious about it, be, you know, being American around it, like kind of hitting you over the head, like, here it is. Boom. You look like Napoleon. It looks like, you know, um, so that, that, that part I really did like that, that was probably the funniest little joke to me that, that I, you know, out of the, out of the thing, you know, where it was, yeah, where it was like, this, this is again, like a lot of the, the jokes that were heavy handed, I was kind of like, okay, but that was one where I was like, that worked. Yeah. I want to add a quick one on Tim. You reminded me of uh, the loud American, right? When he gets on the phone and he asks for the numbers and he's in his cubicle. And then the guy comes in from like two cubicles over and then goes to the front of his cubicle, which has like a, a drawer on it and pulls the numbers out, walks back to his, gets on the phone and calls him back. That was just absurd and funny to me. Yeah. So, so I'll add that as a favorite. I love the, I the that... reveal of those those cabinets. Because right. like, you kind of got the sense that that's what they were, but you didn't really see them interact. So you're kind of watching the maze unfold. And then he does it. It's like, oh, these are also practical, even though they're ridiculous and astir in this weird maze. Like there's actually a practical purpose to them <laughs> right that was i think that's the scene i'm going to settle on zeke as my favorite i sorry sorry to no, jump in I, and steal well, right before I mean, you were going <laughs> a, the whole thing like joel said and then b also what joel said the opening cigarette gag the streetcar with the lamp like i you know i've been <laughs> fighting for scenes the whole all night here like i really also liked the i loved that scene you mentioned zeke because it 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 was the the product of several decisions that are all sensible, all coming together to make a single moment of ridiculousness, right? right? Like, oh, we have telephones. Of course we have telephones. Telephones are great. Let's put them in everyone's office, cubicle, so they can all talk to each other. Of course, let's put the cabinets in the same room as the cubicles so they don't have to walk all the way down to the files archives room, right? Great. 
done. So then while the one guy happens to be consulting with somebody, first the phone call is to the same room, right? Which is like absurd. But, I, you know, people walk around constantly and that's the phone he was at. So, okay, great. And then like, yeah, I have to go to where the files are and go get it. Okay, great. Well, then someone moved the files to be here because that's convenient. <laughs> so he's right there. And then by coincidence, they're flip-flopped. So, the, you know, I just loved the way that produced right. from a series of really good ideas produced a single moment of of insanity right and yeah. i love that because it happens constantly to me at work right it's always <laughs> like you know why is this this way this file system or this organization and then i get to the end of the task and go oh that's why you know like it all comes together right i just i love it um so that i think that's the explanation I want for that moment. I loved the lamp that Joel mentioned. I loved the cigarette gag that Joel mentioned where you don't realize it's glass. Um, I loved the uh, the glass door. I don't think anyone covered it in full detail, but the glass door breaks on the nightclub. So the doorman stands there with the doorknob in his hand, pretending there's still a door there, opening and closing it for people all night. And like they pull open you know, Hulot, when he's standing there. And at one point, the doorman is standing somewhere else, doorknob in hand, not even where a door is supposed to be. And someone walks up and just grabs it and opens the fake door, steps past him in the middle of an empty space and closes the fake door. I, the way everyone obeyed, you know, the sacred word of the doorknob, right? If there's a doorknob here, there must be a door, right? It was so, like, that's also something you do in a city with infrastructure. You see the sign or the gate or the whatever, and you just assume it's correct because it must be, because why else would it be there? And, and you know, you find yourself following these systems. And I just, I predicted it, but I loved the waiter who slowly gathered more and more rags as the thing went on, you know? The moment the first guy came out with the torn jacket and talked to the guy with the pants and went, well, let's switch. I was like, he's going to be wearing nothing but ruined clothes by the end of the night. And he's I'm the portrait right. of Dorian Gray of the film. <laughs> yes. Every so often someone else came out. My tie fell in the stall. Here you go. My shoe split. Here you go. You know, every, every time. And he was eventually just this hobo sitting on the balcony with the ladders and the paint cans in a ruined waiter's outfit. And I really liked um, the, just as something that is indicative of the whole film for me, those steps towards the wall booths that have the lights mm -hmm. in them that the waiters yeah. were discreetly kicking every time they walked by to turn on the light, you know, boom, boom, and the light would turn on and then it would go off again and the next waiter would walk up with the table, so kick, and then here you go, sir. You know, like, I loved that the whole reason that existed and the whole reason we got taught that was so that later the lights could be out and a waiter could trip. And the moment he hits the step, the lights come on and he, <laughs> bam, hits his face, you know, a half second too late, boom. And he gets carted out of there and, and lights are on for the rest of that. And I, I, because that one thing, that prop, was something that a physical comedy genius would think of. Like you mentioned about like mime and whatnot, right? Like that is the type of thing. What about a step with a light and the light is needed but only works after you've kicked the step? Like imagine the hilarity, right? And that could just be the step at a hotel, right? The, the doorman like has it down, but every taxi driver and bellhop and guest who comes and goes has a different trip, right? That would be a great like eight minute short film. But then, you know, Tati took that idea and then kept it and added it to a list of ideas. Every time he got another one, he added it and added it and added it. And eventually he had an idea for every single physical thing that exists in a city. 
and said, I'm going to build the city. And then he did. And that's the film. <laughs> that's the whole thing. <laughs> so I, I like that moment for the moment of clarity it gave me. Right? <laughs> oh, like that's how this happened. It's, it's great. Yeah, I think the, the best, the one I related to most low is that filing cabinet bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I was just gonna say, like, well, well, the two parts that I liked about those scenes. The one is the, with the the filing cabinet and cub- cubicle area, is the one where, um, you know, the guy is in the office and he finally tracked him down and he heard his his, his shoes clicking and then went to the and he opens the door. Oh, good, he's in here. And he waits outside and you see him leave the office and you're like, God damn it, is he just gonna like totally lose? But then he goes back in. You're like, Oh, phew, okay, good. Like he's he 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 ended up back where he thought he was. Okay, good. He's not gonna. But then you know loses him some other how. Um, and then my favorite gag with the glass door is the one where it's like they're by the coat room and the two guys like smack into each other. But he's like, Oh no, it's because of the door. And it, like so, it's like like, like kind of again the playing doorman into, you, opens it. Right. Yeah, that now you can pass through. Like. <laughs> I really so like it. Just, what, it just helped sell that there was actually a door there because well, that's why you ran into it. It's not that you just bumped into this other guy. <laughs> I love with the doorman where there's a, a couple that is like has ignored him, like they they've moved Pat through the door, and then he moves where the door would be so he can get a tip. And oh, he gets yeah, yeah. the tip, so he moves the door away from the doorway to do that. Yeah, and then the next person gives him a tip, and he holds out the door handle as a tray and takes the other one like it it just like the the integrity of the door in those sequences and how it's either abandoned (laughs) of the door and with the 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 drunks right who would come and follow the the sign spiral in and then fall through which would have been glass and it's kind of a self-fulfilling pot and the one couple who tries to open the door and he holds it shut right where he's behind (laughs) his back he's talking and then he gets, uh, uh, they they yell at him for it. He d- does that very French, like, what? What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's great. That whole, I mean, what I love about that last sequence is what what a f- fun idea to set. And John Cleese talked about this with um, uh, Faulty Towers, where <laughs> he was saying that the great thing about a hotel as a setting for farce is we all know how they work. You don't have to explain how it works. And I think something that's so brilliant about just the setting and the dramatic irony set up from the very start of that sequence is the fancy restaurant that has opened before construction has been completed. Everything that happens in there makes sense because of that first premise. That first premise is so easily identifiable and accepted so all of the hijinks that happen is just following the natural next step like it 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 really crescendos like it gradually increases because you have the mater d stepping on the tile that's loose and then going back and you see that the the kitchen isn't finished and they can't even get the fish through the fucking uh, uh, window to the the kitchen. They like they said if you put the fish through here, the sauce will come out. It needs to be wide enough. So the, and the contractor constantly like reexamining what's gone wrong. The central pillar that is like integral to the structure of the building that is right in the entryway. So everybody's smacking into it. Like just a poorly designed and not finished fancy restaurant is just so like it's there so. There was a line pointed. at one point 
when one of the waiters says to the maitre d after something has happened something really the ceiling is already collapsed at this point by the way and some guest or somebody does something a little weird and the french are at first like oh no but then the crowd just goes oh ha 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 so the waiters decide to and the waiter says to the maitre d i have it written down he says it's the same thing every night <laughs> and i thought it's that the reason we watched them do construction today that was hurried and unfinished as they ushered everybody out as the guests arrived and the reason the workmen were so sort of meh about being ushered out as the guests arrive is because every day the guests come in and destroy this restaurant and every day they try to rebuild it before it opens again that night i that was i took that line and thought Ooh, that's my new headcanon. That's, that's gotta great. happen. No, that's that's definitely a good headcanon. Yeah. <laughs> I, I took note of that line this time too. I didn't make that connection though. That's that's really it's the fun. same thing every night, right? Because they mentioned at one point, like, oh, we were ready to serve seventy people, and you've got one hundred and fifty. You know, ah, like it's more than they were hoping. I also want to touch on um, the airport, especially the way it begins. Airports have a way of being detached from space and time, especially when you're in them for long periods of time and mm -hmm. really especially when you're in them overnight god help me um and so that opening much like the way the whole film just felt i felt like my lived experience had been put into a film that opening is what did it because it was that oh good god how many times have i been that man sitting there maybe without the woman badgering him right just i don't know what time it is or where i am or what year it is and there are all these other people <laughs> drifting through at fast speeds or slow speeds or whatever all totally unconnected to me or my existence in any way shape or form somehow all in the same building and it just that was pitch perfect mm -hmm. and brought me in so I, I did have some discussion topics and i've realized in the past when i've brought discussion topics or questions i ask them proceed to answer them and then say you guys have anything to say on that so I am actively resisting that urge this time. So I, I wanted to see what you, your guys' views were on physical or slapstick comedy, either like coming into this film or after this film, um, just because it, it's not as common anymore. And there, it, it certainly has like a certain stigma around it. So I wanted to see what everybody's kind of opinions and views on slapstick or physical comedy were. Ooh, I, what I said about the stare, right? I know that was a physical comedy prop. I mean, I love it, right? Apparently I love it, but I love it when it's less, I guess I'll say when it's just physical comedy and not slapstick, if that's a distinction to make, right? Where it's less about the person getting hurt or their arms flailing in a weird way and more about the interaction of the person and the object. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So like the, to use airplane again, the bit where that one woman is hysterical and the people are taking turns slapping her, right? It kind of doesn't, eh, like, oh, they're hitting this woman. Eh. <laughs> right, I don't really care. But the joke then is how many people are lined up and with all their tools, right? <laughs> it's the implication, you know? Whereas the, the part I loved about the man walking into the door so hard he broke his nose, right, in, in playtime wasn't, Oh, ha, ha, he broke his nose, but it was that this kind of confusing physical space that poor Uro had had been stuck in with us this whole time, culminating in the reflection mishap, was confusing for the guy who lives in this space, right? 
and it didn't have to be a broken nose it could have been a door hit or like he steps outside and then like oh i'm outside or even just him looking up and realizing that the reflection isn't real any one of those things could have been the culmination of that joke and i would have loved it the same way you know he just happened to use walking into the door does that make sense so mm -hmm. i liked that the comedy was oriented around the physical space and the camera and the site and the place but or the the step with the lights in it you know but it wasn't not necessarily the the result of the space i don't know i i hope i elucidated in there mm. yeah and it's why i like noises off so much because in noises off so much more of it is about objects getting handed from person to person but not going anywhere or people putting in lots of steps and then not getting anywhere you know or sort of culminating in the unexpected after lots of effort and there are some injuries but it's not the point you know tim what about you I think for me, I mean, I, I tend to like slapstick, but it has to be good slapstick, you know, like, I feel like, like, it's, it's like anything, you know, it's like, um, you know, it's like, do you, do you like comedy? Well, I like good comedy, you know, like, you know, it, to me, it's not an, uh, an all or nothing kind of thing. Like, um, for, for lack of better, better term, like sometimes I've seen where it's kind of too, too juvenile. And I guess, you know, maybe this is kind of an extension of what you were talking about, Scott, where it's just like, oh, hey, I'm going to just punch someone in the face and it's funny because someone got punched in the face and it's like well what's 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 surrounding the punch in the face it's funny like um although then again it's always funny seeing someone getting hit in the nuts like so <laughs> you know that that gets a free pass you know like uh, there was an you, snl skit you did it right like that the old three stooges bit right mm -hmm. the two of them are squabbling and they bring the third guy. the funny part isn't when one of them gets jabbed in the eye the funny part is when they hit the third guy right right and then suddenly it's a three-person vendetta and the whole purpose of the fight has changed, right? It's not the pain, it's the, I don't know, the broader consequence. Yeah, well, I, I also yeah. like, like with, yeah, Three Stooges are a good example. I like how, you know, Mo will usually kind of let them choose the way they're gonna get hurt too, like that whole interaction where it's like, <laughs> you know, what is the Joker like, you know, pick two fingers or something like that, that that's the two that he uses to poke you in the eyes, you know, and it's like, so like, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's the setup, you know? there was an SNL skit with Jonah Hill where they were doing something where they were, it was supposed to be science and they're like, we're going to, you know, register, you know, his, his heart rate and see what happens when, you know, he gets hit in the nuts. They just kept hitting him in the nuts with tennis balls. And like, it just kept happening over and over again. And like, <laughs> it was one of those things where it's like, yeah, this, this shouldn't be funny. Like this isn't a very clever sketch beyond the setup that they did, but it just kept getting funnier, you know? Um, so I don't know if it's something about like, you know, yeah, being being hit in the nuts is absolute funny as opposed to, you know, other things that need to be set up. Like, um, you know, like like that. there's that one part where he's in the office and he kind of slips and falls. Like that I didn't like as much. I mean, because it yeah, it was just like, it was like, well, why did he fall? You know, like in the, you know, the fact that he's kind of clumsy, I feel like didn't really come about because most of the time he's moving around his environment, like and interacting like a normal person. And then occasionally he would like slip and fall for some reason. Um, you know, so like some of that didn't really land for me, but like, um, uh, what was, I was trying to think there's another example. Oh, no, no. So this wasn't in this movie, but, um, uh, like, so in the bird cage, for example, when Hank Azaria never wears shoes and they, he has to wear shoes and he just keeps slipping and falling. And like, 
to me like that that was it, it was it was perfect and then that there's that one climactic scene where it happens where like i think something's on fire robin williams taking a drink and you just see him slip and fall in the back it's like fucking hilarious you know like but but again there's there's a reason behind it it's like you know he can't wear shoes because they make him slip and fall you know like he doesn't know how to walk with shoes on like who the fuck doesn't know how to walk with shoes like you're not laughing at him getting hurt on the ground you're laughing at the fact that he can't wear shoes yeah you know and 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 i think you know so much (laughs) i love that scene i love that he says there's no sense in me wearing shoes because when I do, it makes me fall down. And there's a scene in when they're in the kitchen. This is a whole detraction. We'll eventually watch the birdcage together. But there's a scene where they're in the kitchen, and Robin Williams is trying to dis- like trying to get uh, out of the kitchen to to fill up the bowls before they see the uh, homoerotic oh, art, and he he ends up slipping on where Hank Azaria had slipped because they waxed it. And this is a total ad lib. He falls and he's laughing and he's, <laughs> he's like, uh, uh, why are you laughing? Go, go. He's like trying not to, I I'm, I'm butchering it, but it's like, it's like my favorite moment from that movie. Cause Robin Williams broke and they kept it on screen and he slipped when he wasn't supposed to slip. Nice. <laughs> But the whole situation is already so chaotic. It works. You don't even question it. Yeah, that's that's a great modern, in quotation marks, farce. They've created an atmosphere of uncertainty. (laughs) Although, then again, maybe sometimes I do appreciate the person getting hurt. Um, It's another example I thought of that I love that I've watched on repeat. I found like a YouTube video of it where it plays for 10 hours straight is in uh, the movie um, Along Came Polly when um i think it's at the beginning when when ben stiller's character is about to get married and in comes philip seymour hoffman and he's like strutting his stuff he's like best man is in the house and he slips on the dance floor and falls so fucking hard like like (laughs) i i really just feel like like i don't know if it was either like unintentional that he fell that hard or that was just the gig and he he said all right i'm gonna suck it up and do it but like you know like I, i can't see how that didn't hurt and he wasn't like bruised after that and just kind of like goes with it and brushes it off and like and and i think if if he hadn't slipped that hard in such a way that it looked as painful as it did i don't think it would be as funny like if he just kind of like oh lost his his footing like oh the floor is slippery you know we gotta we gotta you know there's too much wax on it you know we don't want someone breaking a hip or whatever and 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 i think you know some of it was probably the setup because it's philip seymour hoffman you know and his whole character in that movie is he he thinks he's way better than he is like throughout the whole movie and kind of it's it's almost satisfying like i guess seeing him getting taken down a peg in that way but then he also brushes it off like it doesn't bruise his ego in any way or just like okay you're just completely delusional so so yeah i don't know it's it's i think it's tough i do like slapstick but it's tough to zero in on i think for me what actually makes it good or bad you know um you know i guess yeah like if i if if i if I laugh, you know, obviously there's something that's, that's capturing it for me, but I don't know what necessarily would make one thing funny and one thing not funny, except the getting hit in the nuts thing. That's just always. <laughs> what about you, Zeke? What do you think about physical comedy? And if we were all sitting at the same table, I could have punctuated that with something <laughs> physical, but. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan. I, you know, um, I was just thinking about it as everyone was talking and, uh airplane is one of my favorite movies i love liam neeson so i love the naked gun series um you know watching 
You said Liam Neeson. Oh. I want to, oh my God, I want that. I want that remake so bad. (laughs) Right. My brain just conflated Liam Neeson, Leslie Nielsen. Leslie Nielsen. Um, uh, Yeah. Edit that out in post, please. (laughs) Never. That's a t shirt now. Liam Neeson in Naked Gun. (laughs) Airplane. Uh, Very different movies. Um, No, but yeah, I grew up watching those, like, grew up on a lot of, you know, the Dick Van Dyke show and the whole intro to the Dick Van Dyke show is slapstick, um, you know, modern stuff, love Mr. Bean, um, you know, uh, Adam Sandler fan. So there's a lot of slapsticks, you know, sprinkled through Adam Sandler movies. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I, I think generally a fan and Jeff generally grew up on a lot of it and, and still appreciate a lot of it. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's interesting to hear the different, um, like dimensions of it that you've all talked about, right? Like whether it's the physical part itself or just the anticipation of the physical part, but you know, overall I'd say big fan of it. And it's been a thread of the comedy that I like over the years. So, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. With me, I, I never really watched the Stooges or anything because my dad thought they were dumb and that, that characterizes a lot of my early taste with most things. If my dad didn't like it, I didn't end up liking it. And he always described it as like, they're so stupid. And I, I, there, there is a stigma about physical comedy or slapstick that it is juvenile or it is not sophisticated. But then you watched, and he also didn't like Jerry Lewis, which I do not understand as a person. I love Jerry Lewis so much. I understand he's irritating. We were actually watching an episode of uh, Star Trek Next Generation where Data's trying to figure out how to be funny. So he goes on the holodeck and there's a comedian who does a Jerry Lewis impression. And it's not a bad impression, but it is totally obnoxious when somebody else does it. I don't know if that's just something wrong with my brain, but as, as I started watching like Chaplin, the, the godfather of this genre, right, of physical comedy, because it was silent, all you could do was visual and how it evolved, like Marx Brothers, Three Stooges, Jerry Lewis, uh, Monty Python with the uh, uh, Ministry of Silly Walks. And they have a, a great uh, thing that they did for the Hollywood Bowl, where it's like this very, it's like a, a, an Oxford style lecture where they're describing like slipping on a banana peel, getting hit with a plank of wood. And they're doing it, they're deconstructing it in such a great way that they're like explaining the joke as it's happening and they somehow make it funnier as a result of it. But when, when you, you see gags um, choreographed, I mean, Mr. Bean is a great example of just really intense writing with no, I mean, there's no vo- like dialogue necessary in those skits. It's all, all visual. And the, the, the meticulous detail to execute those jokes is anything but unsophisticated. And I don't know where the stigma comes from or if it's just kind of like if you're getting hit at that. I mean, hitting the balls isn't like a constructed joke. It is funny. It is physical. We understand it can we have the dramatic irony perspective to see the pain there. But I don't know if it's like the modern equivalent. Of, we haven't really had sophisticated physical humor in a long time i feel like jackass is probably the most like visually out like proliferated style of this like youtube hit impact videos those kind of things it's no longer 
I don't, this could be just speaking from not seeing a whole, whole lot of it in, in modern days, but like it, it, it's, it seems like a quick laugh and it's never let the point, right? Like it's always on the way to something else as contributing to this larger comedy. Whereas when the visuals were all you have, and I mean, all, that's all Jerry Lewis did was dance around and get hurt and smack into things. And I, and to a certain extent, uh, Jackie Chan, I always see him as a almost direct descendant from Charlie Chaplin with situational comedy and using the environment to contribute to what he's doing physically is, is he put a new spin on it. Like, um, so I, I was just interested because even Edgar Wright, there's yeah, a lot of absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, that would be a much um, more modern ad- adaptation of it. That's fair, yeah, yeah, especially like Hot Fuzz and yeah, the, and that's the thing with the dramatic ar- uh, irony he establishes through the Cornetto trilogy when they they're jumping over the the hedges Texas. in the back. You, you have like an expectation. Okay, mm-hmm. it went well in this one, in this one, and then that that's that's. That's yeah. almost a whole nother. There's even just an, an appreciation of the environment mm-hmm. that you get from Edgar Wright and from Jackie Chan is what yeah. made it click, right? Like even when in Scott Pilgrim, when he escapes from knives and jumps out the window, mm-hmm. right? The only purpose that window has served this entire time has been to be the one tiny window in their shitty apartment. <laughs> and <laughs> But nothing, no piece of that space was done. It was all done on purpose. And it's there so he can jump out of it, you know, later, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And that's, I, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised that it's like within our group, it's not like physical comedy is dumb. It's not like we, we all have an appreciation for it in its different forms. Um, I just think it like, and it, it's, it kind of siphon or uh, segues pretty easily into the next topic. I was like, really, with, constructed visual or physical comedy it, it's very active watching experience it's not something this is not a movie you can watch your phone you can't like be checking on anything else and follow the story along i was i couldn't take notes i had to pause it and take stuff down because it's so, like everything's on screen i don't know how how was that experience i know you guys talked a little bit about it being um you were paying attention and what looking for significance and then none, they were, you were constantly being disappointed by that. So how was the active experience of watching the film with, in light of all that? Well, I'll get out of the way first. Cause I've also <laughs> loved it. I just, great. The film is so visually dense that there's always something to look at. And it, especially in a lot of scenes, they don't tell you what to look at until halfway through like the cubicle and filing cabinet bit. It's just, you know, nine, cubicles all with different people and the lady in the middle desk and you could watch any one of them and they're all their own story and then eventually the american shows up he's in a darker black than everybody else he's a little taller he's in the front cubicle and he sticks out and then his voice comes and that's where it tells you where the narrative is going to be i want to re-watch this just so i could look elsewhere and see the things i've missed but as an active watching experience it was really entertaining the whole time and also i didn't I didn't feel so punished when I looked away because the city just moves on the same way a real city does. You know, if you're sitting at a window seat in a restaurant watching people watching, when you look back up from your food, you just say, all right, let's see who's here now. And you don't think about the 10 people who just walked by who you missed. You're just continuing to observe. So I liked it. I thought it was great. I'll jump in and just say that I 
think one thing I'm realizing is that for me, uh, I think I, I don't know if I want to say enjoy, but to me, I guess the active watching experience has more of an impact or maybe I do enjoy it more when it's a thriller or when it's a whodunit or when it's um, a horror movie, right? Or an action movie, um, something that's a little more plot driven. And I think that was a challenge this time. Um, I don't know that I've, I don't know, and I'm gonna have to think about it, but just are there, just trying to think of other comedies that I've enjoyed where you're more of a participant or it's more active watching, right? Than just taking in the humor um, and just light, right? So I think the, the, the challenge for my brain, right, was that I was trying to pay attention and like track down all the details, but also, I don't know, for me, when I throw a comedy on, it's so I can shut my brain off and just enjoy the laughter and enjoy the gags and things like that. Whereas this one is so focused on the set and so focused on how it's shot and the, and the running gags that like one thing here has a trail for later um, that I think, I don't know, it was just, just a challenge for me having my brain be that active for something where I would usually just shut my brain off and laugh and enjoy. Um, I don't know. So I think that's where I'm coming up against it. Um, I think when I enjoy the active thing, right, it's like a thriller and we're trying to track down like, okay, here's a clue or an Easter egg that they dropped at the very beginning. And we're trying to follow the significance or here's someone in the background who's doing something. Let me follow them because they end up being an important character later. Uh, whereas here, those things don't necessarily matter as much, right? They're important, but for different reasons. Um, so yeah, so in terms of just actively watching, I think that was the challenge for me, um, just, just viewing a comedy in this way. And I think at the beginning when I said, you know, there were some things I enjoyed and some things I didn't, right? One thing throughout was just that this was a very different comedy than I've seen before. Um, you know, slapstick or, or not, right? It was just something that was shot differently and, and put forward differently um, as a comedy movie that I just haven't had a lot of experience with. So it was different, but um, I don't know. Yeah, I guess to just sum it up, it was just so different that it was hard to pay attention to what I was supposed to pay attention to, I guess. I think for me, like if I had known a little more about it, I may have enjoyed it more. I don't think I would have found it more funny, uh, but that was definitely a thing. I didn't know it was supposed to be a comedy until I made that connection to the, um, to the, the Pink Panther and kind of how, how he was navigating through his space. Um, so I think like, I feel like if I watched it again, I could maybe have a new appreciation of uh, kind of taking everything in the way it's meant to be taken in you know basically knowing that i'm not yeah i'm not looking for a plot i'm not looking for characters to care about or i know at least now who the central characters are so i can kind of um not yeah pay attention more big picture you know like not be so invested in what that couple is talking about at the beginning because that's not important mm -hmm. you know it's it's the journey about that through, earlier you know, when you yeah. said about the couple talking in the airport about i first discovered this just through a YouTube video and they were talking about different films, but just the clip they showed, like 30 seconds of five seconds each cuts was incredible. And I was like, I need to see this. But the thing is they described it as just the story about a man just kind of navigating the modern world and just a time and place, a snapshot. That was the mindset I went into this with. 
And when you were saying about how you were looking for a main character on a plot, mm-hmm. my first thought was, oh, I was told there wasn't one. And I wonder how much that changed my perception of the film. Yeah. So I, I just yeah. had this huge realization and I need to apologize to you all because Tim, if you had brought Koyan Escotsi to us with no fucking primer, what the fuck would that have been? Because I, I'm just re- like, because my, again, this is this, my intention is I am so desperate to be surprised by things. So I try to go in with his little, but that doesn't work for everything. If I went into Koyan Escotsi totally cold i'd be like what the hell am i doing here so i i i need to i and I, this happens every time so i need to remember it before i choose things and be well, like give you a, a primer i don't have to spoil the thing but if i had said hey this is like an extended visual gag it's coin escotsi but with physical comedy then you wouldn't have been looking for meaning you could have just enjoyed it and that that is now more real to me than ever before. So, <laughs> well, yeah, and, and that's a perfect example too. Like, like I was I was going to compare it to the first time I saw Koyana Scotsi because you know I, I had talked about it with my uncle before, and he kind of told me you know what the gist of it was. Yeah. So when I watched it, you know, it was by myself, but I knew what I was getting into. I knew it was just images and music. You know, and it's like you know you just kind of let the meaning kind of wash over you. Um, you know, and, and, you know, and even in, that was another part of it too, like the subtitles, like, you know, I feel like there, there's some dialogue, like the little dialogue there is, like some of it, you could say like the, the line you brought up, Scott, where it's like, oh, every night's the same thing. Like, I feel like that's an important line because it gives you a very different perspective on, on what's happening or not necessarily different, but at least defines the perspective you should have. Whereas, um, you know, I feel like a lot of the dialogue I was trying to listen to, like when the, the tourists would come in, like I was trying to hear, and I think because all of a sudden they were talking English. So I was trying to pay attention to what they were saying. And it's just like, that's, that's not important. It's just a, a group of people just talking. It's just a din, you know? And, and, you know, even again, you know, what the, that one American guy was, you know, he, what he was saying was louder than everyone else, but I don't think it was because what he was saying was important. It was just because he was American, you know, and, right. and, you know, uh, and to draw a focus to him, not about what he's saying, but just that he's saying it, you know, and whatever. Um, so I think like, yeah, like it, it, and I think some parts, you know, the, some of the funny parts that were, were a little funny would, would still be funny. Like I did, I did like some of the gags, as I've said, but I think, um, yeah, like I think if I, if I knew to just sit back and appreciate the visual part of it more, I think I, I could appreciate that more. You know, it wasn't like, um, you know, I didn't hate that part. I just missed out on it a lot of it because I was trying to follow a thread, you know, um, and, uh, you know, and, 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 and either fo- trying to follow a thread or, or trying to see where something was going, you know, whereas I think there's a lot of stuff that you can just enjoy. Um, and, and not to say that they, it isn't going somewhere because it is, it's all building to some sort of gag. Um, but I just feel like, you know, even just visually, even kind of like a snapshot is just like, Oh, this, this looks really cool. This is, you know, um, so yeah, so again, I don't know if that completely answers your your question. I forget exactly what the question was, but like, you know, just kind of in terms of me thinking on kind of what my initial reaction was and, and what my takeaway is after the fact, you know. You I, you reminded me of something I put in my notes and then forgot about. I almost wish there hadn't been subtitles mm. because I just, we're supposed to just experience this time in this place. And if I'm there, I'm not going to understand French. 
but I'm going to catch the English for whatever it may be worth. And that said, I do understand that the point was to catch the French, to occasionally hear right. snippets and not necessarily to catch the English. So I, you know, if we could re-record lists where all the French is in English and all the English is in French, then it would be the, the true experience, right? Right. Because like, there's I that great that, scene with the German uh, designer yes. of the, the I understood more of the German than the French. Right? So <laughs> the, the door that doesn't, what is it? Slam slam your doors in golden silence or whatever. Golden, That's such a great, silent salesman. That's such a great uh, uh, tagline. But that that is such a great lost in translation moment because mm -hmm. the French audience and the the American audience or whoever's watching like if you don't know German you're just as lost as Yulo is you don't know why you're being attacked and it sets up that great for him being mistaken as one of the attendants because without his jacket yeah. he's wearing what the other ones are wearing um, but that doesn't like there's no subtitles for that right. like it in, in but like I said way. even with no subtitles I understood half of that right none of the French <laughs> and I. I think even again, that conversation at the beginning in the airport with the couple, mm -hmm. I wasn't really able to make out what they were saying, even, you know, mm -hmm. French aside. Right. It was just, they were talking to each other, maybe about right. the flight, maybe about the appointment, whatever. And that, again, is something that happens in real life. You can hear that people are speaking, but not quite what they're saying. And I think the fact that the, the subtitling team saw fit to bring that to attention immediately sort of ruined the, the, ruin the atmosphere is maybe the phrase I'm looking for, right? Mm -hmm. Although again, like I said, I if they could have swapped languages, that would have been the point. And then I might've been able to pick out words, but not the whole thing, et cetera. You know, I, and I'm really glad I got the line about same thing every night. So yeah, I guess in the end, I'm glad there were subtitles, but then I kind of wish they could have scrambled the English, right? right. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, it, it reminds me of, I've talked about this film about a dozen times, The Tribe a Ukrainian film that I mm. saw that's done entirely in sign language because the whole cast is deaf right. and it takes place at a school for the deaf. It's Ukrainian sign language, A, and B, no subtitles exist, not even in Ukrainian. That's the point that if you don't know the Ukrainian sign language, too bad. And part of the point is that the entire film is comprehensible just visually through body language and the way we talk and blah, blah, blah. Right. That, and I, I kind of, this felt like it was taking the same approach, right? That it was trying to explain the site, the space to you visually and then through ambient sound. And the fact that some of that ambient sound just happens to be words that we know was kind of coincidental. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So yeah, thank I'm, you, Jim, because I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm wishing I had just, I'll, I'll work to give you guys more of a primer. Because if I had said this is Mr. Bean-esque and don't look for a plot, you would have came in and and like, it it wouldn't have been distracting it would have been more of a primer so i again i apologize for i i've, I've given you no context for several films and i think i that is especially since we're not watching it together because if we had watched this on the same couch if one of you had leaned out it was like so who is this about it's like it's not about anybody oh now i can relax and enjoy this like that that's that's something that with the zoom format i i'm i'm now realizing so thank you I did have one other one. Um, I, I was curious how you guys felt about um, whether the film's commentary on the inaccessibility of modernity still ring true. I mean, I, I can start us off. I, yes and no. I, or the monotony or the, the sameness act. of modernity. I could, because in, in nowhere better. Act. Yeah. 
because some of like I said, I've been I've been Hulot before in a place that's both familiar and utterly baffling. And sometimes it's a foreign culture, a different city. Sometimes it's just a building I've never been in before or a person I've never talked to. So I that sense of inability to grasp the thing in front of you, despite its familiarity, is something that is is a common thread throughout all of life in some way or another. And sometimes it's due to modernity, but sometimes it's not even remotely connected. So, and so in that sense, you know, unfamiliarity with modernity is sometimes, yes, it's something I feel and get, but then it sometimes just feels like you're just the old person who lived live under a rock for the last 20 years, right? That that unfamiliarity is just a part of life and not necessarily tied to to the world progressing. It's just a part of new experiences. And those new experiences can be from modernity, but they can also be from, you know, I mean, you can be familiar or unfamiliar with anything, you know, no matter how new it might be societally. That said, something that everyone else seems comfortable with that you don't is a unique type of awkward that comes more often than not from new things, new technology, especially in an urban center. But it's still not quite, you know, that's not what I would have taken from this film if you'd asked me to define it. I would have, I would have taken the, the confusion part, confusion in navigating something new, but I wouldn't have put the word modernity at the end. Yeah, that's it. Zeke, what about you? Yeah, I think, um, you know, that's one of the things I, I tried to get out a little bit earlier was just, um, you know, one thing I was thinking of throughout is what if I put myself in the shoes of someone watching it in the 1960s, right? And, and how that would have been a different experience because I do think it was ahead of its time in projecting a lot of these things. And a favorite scene that I didn't mention that I had in my notes was um, when I think it's Barbara is looking out or... I think she comes to it eventually, but it's the shot of all the travel posters um, up <laughs> on the on the glass and right. The and it's same like, building. Yeah, USA and Mexico and a couple other places, right? And it's the same bland gray apartment building. And that was one of the moments where I was like, okay, this is, you know, this movie is ahead of its time in thinking about like the hustle and bustle of city life and like everything's the same and, and, I don't know, like you said, the modernity of everything. Um, so I think that was the big thing for me is just thinking if I watch this movie as someone in, in you know, did it come out in 64? I, I know it took a few years to 67. shoot, right? 67. Yeah. So if I watched the, this when it was released, uh, how would I feel about it projecting into the future and projecting into what day-to-day -day life looks like and city life looks like and entertainment when they're showing the 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 apartment building and you've got the four and everyone's watching TV kind of like gazing at each other and you've got multiple people in every room and they're just focused on TV. A lot of that did ring true for me, right? Cause you can be in the same room with multiple other people and just be, you know, on your phone or distracted or whatever it is. Um, so a lot of that did hit home. Right. And I think they did an amazing job. And that's one of my favorite parts of it is just how much they projected, um, you know, modern life now. And I think that was a little bit of a challenge watching it now, right? Because it's like, okay, you're showing me today, right? You're showing me if I was in downtown Denver, mm -hmm. what things would look like. But in 1960, right? 1960s Paris, you know, it could have been a whole different thing. So um, 
yeah, I think its reflections on future life then and modern life now are are some of my favorite parts of it and some of the, the, the reflections that I enjoyed the most. I don't know. Yeah. Like I, I, I agree with Scott was saying about the, the idea of modernity. Like I feel like a lot of times when I, it, it almost seems to have a sense like modernity is like an absolute thing as opposed, as opposed to, you know, every, every time period when people are alive, that is, that is modern then. Like, I feel like, you know, modern has come to kind of be associated with kind of the age of technology, as opposed to just, you know, you know, back in the, you know, 1700s, that was modern then. And what were, what were, what new things were they dealing with then? And I think this is probably something that comes from that sort of, that idea of the older generation, you know, kind of always thinking that like, oh, when I was young, this is the way things were, and that's the way they should be. And now things are weird and progressing faster than they should be, you know, so that was kind of, I guess, maybe, yeah, maybe more my take on it is that, you know, because, you know, we're supposed to be focusing on this guy who's kind of an, an older person, you know, I have a hard time seeing it as a, as a commentary on the way things are as like, look at how this guy is struggling. Maybe things shouldn't be the way they are. It's like, well, no, he's struggling because things are different from how he grew up like it is for every person when they become an older person, you know, like there's always, you know, like, when we're old men, like we're going to be the ones being like, Oh man, all this new stuff, you know? And I, I mean, of course you, I feel like you have a hard time imagining what that's going to be, you know, like, like 20, 30, 40 years from now, what are the things that are going to be blowing our minds that we can't wrap our heads around, you know, like there, you know, it's, it, we can't imagine what it is, but then again, you know, like he couldn't have imagined the world the way it is now when he was in his twenties and thirties, you know, or, or then, you know, um, so, so yeah, it's, it's, I just, yeah, I think I always feel like it's a weird conversation because I feel like this doesn't really make the point, but it reminds me, uh, one of my, um, my composition teachers in my underground had, I mean, my undergrad had said that no one is ever ahead of their time. You know, we always say these great artists are ahead of their time. No one is ahead of their time. They're where they need to be. It's just everybody else is stuck behind the times, you know? And so, so I always feel like that when there's like a criticism of, of, uh, or, or not even criticism, but commentary about modernity. And it's just like, it's, that's, that's the way it is. Like, it's kind of like, you know, accepted or get trampled kind of thing. And I feel like, you know, anyone who's kind of making that commentary and it's like, you know, the way you're feeling about your environment is probably the way your parents felt when, when you were a kid about the environment, you know, like, like with music, you know, every, every generation hates the music of the generation after them and thinks that it's noise <laughs> and not really music. And, you know, and it's like, how, how many, how far down do we have to go before we just kind of acknowledge that it's just like, yeah, like, and, and, and you know, another part of that too is, um, this is sort of another thing that, uh, uh, there was a student when I was at DU who had asked me if I liked atonal music. And I was like, I like good atonal music. I was like, you know, th like, you know, the fact that we kind of lump an entire genre together, you know, and it's kind of like when I was a kid, rap was relatively new and everyone, you know, like older people, like rap is garbage. And it's just like some rap might be garbage, but also hasn't been around long enough for us to kind of be able to sift through what is good rap and is going to stand the test of time and what is bad rap, where it's just, you know, people who are like, oh, hey, you don't have to be able to sing to do rap. I'm, I'm terrible as a musician, so I'm going to do rap. And it's just like, no, that, that doesn't make it good. That's not okay. You know, and you know, and, but, but it's just, it's all happening at once. So you kind of can't really 
have a judgment about it until you look back on it and say, oh yeah, remember that? That's terrible. Huh? That's, that's hilarious. But this is now an art form, you know, and, you know, same thing with jazz, you know, when jazz was first around, like, you know, like, again, all the old people who are listening to, you know, to, to classical and whatnot, it's like this, this isn't real music. And, and now you can go to the, the conservatory and study jazz, you know, it's, it's part of the culture. It's part of the, you know, and, and again, it's probably been separated into what's good jazz and what's bad jazz. And then now you have jazz musicians looking at rock music going, Oh, that's not real music. You have to have a billion chords in your song. You can't have a chord that has just a song that has just three chords. And it's like, you know what, you know, a couple generations from now or decades from now, you know, you can get a degree in rock music, I'm sure at some point, you know, so it's just like, like learn from the fact that what, you were a part of and how it had been looked down the generation before. And I think that's one of the things that just bothers me about existence is, yes, that, that, that people, when people grow up, they forget what it's like to be young. They forget what it was like when, when they were interested in whatever was new as they were kind of growing up and learning. And then they get old and they look around them and they're just like, oh, all these, these, these things that are, that are here now that's kind of ruining the way life should be. And it's just like, those were the same things that you liked as a kid that your parents were telling you were ruining the way life, the way life is supposed to be. It's like, shut up. Like, like fucking remember, you know, like, um, so anyway, this is kind of more of a tangent, but it's just, I think it's just kind of hit on that. Uh, uh, I guess that's my feeling on that concept of modernity to me is just like, this is today. Like this is, this is what life is, you know? And, and I feel like you know, <laughs> it, it almost gets close to me sometimes and I know that this is your intention. I know you don't feel this way, but but the, the, like the MAGA idea of looking on some imagined thing from the past as right. some ideal, it's like, shut the fuck up. Like, this is what's now, you know, like, this is what it is. It's just, it, it's not a, um, it's not something, I, I guess you kind of almost don't have a choice. You know, it's like this, this is what life is. So either, either get better at it or get out of the way of it. You know, and that's that's kind of how I've I've tried to be. And I mean, even with something like music, I may not like all of the music that's coming out now, but I would never be like, that's not music. That's garbage. What you're listening to is stupid and you're an idiot for listening to it. My music is real. You know, and it's like I feel like the the that's when you start becoming old. I've kind of decided. And that's why I, that's that's one of the things that I hope is helping keep me young at heart is that whenever something new happens, I try to understand it and I try to accept it and acknowledge it and it may come and go. And I think that's okay. I think that, you know, I think sometimes people feel like this new thing that's this modern, this is a phase and I'm not going to bother acknowledging it because it's going to come and go. And I can get to say like, see that thing that I thought was stupid. It didn't stick around and it went away. And it's like, chances are it's probably not going away. So you better learn how to use it and get comfortable with it because you know here it is and and you know and i think that in 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 the movie too it kind of it does speak about that because there was that convention with all these gadgets and like you know the broom with the headlights on it and all that stuff and it's like it's like sure that that didn't become a thing and maybe you bought one and then regretted it but it's like but that but that's okay i feel like the 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 adventurous spirit of like i want to be on the cutting edge i want to if this is going to become a thing like, I, I kind of want to be along for the ride, not like, that's stupid, that'll never catch on. So I'm just going to kind of disregard everything that's happening, you know, and, you know, and, and you know, that was something that people used to say about rap, that rap wasn't going to stick around, you know, and I use that as an example, because that was when I was a kid, that was my experience of like, this new music that was emerging that I was interested in, that people older than me were kind of criticizing, 
not just like, again, not just, I don't like it, you know? So to me, that's, I guess I'm drawing a parallel is like, to me, that was a, an aspect of modernity. Here's something new that's happening. It's not a, a whole lifestyle, but it's, it's, it's a new thing that's, that's kind of on the rise and younger people are interacting with it, you know, probably because, you know, maybe sometimes young people don't know what's new because everything's new to them. And that's why they latch onto newer things easier. I don't know about the psychology of of growing that much, but, but I know that that does happen. You know, here's a new thing. Young people like it and old people like you're stupid for liking this new thing because you're young and you don't know any better, you know, and then that thing sticks around and it's just like, Oh, okay. Like, I guess, you know, and, and now you're just out of the loop, you know? And yeah, like I said, I think it's okay to be wrong. It's okay. If you think some new thing is cool and it ends up being garbage, like, so what? Like, okay. But you know, I feel like that, that idea of adapting it at least to kind of, Again, not that you have to own everything and be engaged with everything, but just accept that it's there. Like that's, that's life and it's been happening and it's always going to keep happening. Like humans are going to continue to advance. So it's just like, I feel like anyone who has an issue with modernity, I feel like it's just like, you're, you're, you're just going to be stuck in some imaginary magical time period of your past. And, and that's it. You're just going to be miserable because the world's going to keep moving on without you, you know? Um, so yeah, that's my, that's my treatise on modernity. <laughs> you helped me distill, I think, what I meant about, like, the issue is about what's unfamiliar to the person, mm. right? And that something can be unfamiliar and not be modern. Yeah, yeah. And then, but what's even worse is when that unfamiliarity is couched in something familiar, because now you're not approaching it as something new. You're approaching it as something you know, but wrong. Mm, I don't yeah. mean wrong as in like, I have to fix it wrong, right. but wrong as in the like, I get this weird sense that something's off wrong, right? That unsettling yeah. sort of like that's peak discomfort is when something isn't just totally new. When it's totally new, you just go, oh, what's this? But when it's mostly the same and somewhat new, you go, why? Like it's, it mm -hmm. gives you pause, right? So I, I think, think that's how. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, please. I just, I think that's how we end how Tati ended up on modernity and societal change because that change is always slow as it's adopted by some people piece by piece. So yeah, that's, that's all. I, I think it's a really good point. I mean, you have to equate the MAGA movement as, as in line with this idea of like resisting modernity and, and technology and advancement. I think that's definitely, I didn't think about that. I'm thank you for bringing that to the forefront because it, it makes sense. Right. Um, with, Within the context of Tati's work with Mononcle, it's much more of a, you get to see where Hulot's from, which is this French rural village. And it's, it's the, the two films taken as kind of like making similar points because you get to see more of a, a contrast in Mononcle uh, between this rural community and m what modern advancements in technology looks like. And it, it's a real stark contrast. And this is kind of like, following that to its its natural end point and i think within the context of tati it's um the advances of modern technology have gone about making things more difficult trying to make them easier and i think that that's wrapped up in kind of the idea of like and it there the rural parisian element in this film is the flower stand I mean, that's what Barbara points to is like, that's real Paris. And then she's kind of trying to craft it in this isolated, it's this small booth, like in this, the middle of this urban development. 
and she's trying to craft this and it was really interesting when they all went to the eiffel tower and that group of tourists came back they all had the same statue they all had the same uh poster they all had this like let's prove that we're here um thing so it's like this crafted experience of what the real paris is like so or the this rural idea so that that stand is really kind of the only element of that rural sensibility we get until one bursts through the ceiling in the nightclub because that area becomes much more um that that like vip section is much more casual much more conversational much more okay we've got a piano player in the building like that it's it's it calls back to kind of the the there's a a cafe in mononcle which is very kind of similar sensibilities so it it kind of bursts through in a really weird way there's a lot of um aesthetic choices in the the nightclub right aesthetic choices that don't work practically like the the um the seats that cut into people's suits or the paint mm-hmm. and then the, the bar, the, the steps with the light, the bar is yeah. right in the face, the AC that doesn't work, all of these things that are implemented for a, purely aesthetics, but they don't work. Whereas all of the technological developments we kind of see are very kind of rugged and practical. Like we see the cubicles and stuff, but they don't, they're not comfortable either. They're practical. Like everybody has that modern chair, right? That's the chair that's in the the lobby that's in the um, I love the expo, chair. and then I it love comes the back. Chair joke. It's in the apartments too. Yeah, because when his his Everywhere. army buddy is saying like, "Look at how mo- modern," it's like he has all of these things. The thing, yeah. I've kind of become re- or started to ramble about this. Um, After his own explorations, aren't there like four people who show him the chair? Right. Yeah. Look, yeah, yeah. look how it springs back. <laughs> it's like. Yeah, he knows because he's right. he already encountered one and he already tested it, right? And that's the thing with with a kind of constructed facade of the nightclub. It's all very kind of like uppity, and it's all kind of like it, it's a facade. It, it it is by definition fake. So when it bursts through and there's this enjoyment and relaxed kind of beatnik rural, I don't know. I, I keep saying rural, and it, this might be just like my. Uh, projecting of pastoral sensibilities where the return to nature, the return to the uh, natural environment or the rural environment is supposed to renew you. Right. And I think that that's more along the lines of what was intended is this idea that like when we're becoming more monotonous, when we're becoming more technologically integrated, it's, it's making us lose human connection and it's making things harder than they have been which doesn't discount anything about the the idea that progressing makes things easier and makes us more connected and makes like progresses and is good but i think it, what what tati is commenting on i would think is the the disconnected cold and inaccessibility of kind of modern technology and how it makes things more monotonous rather than diverse one of the things i really liked is an indicator for our character was that everyone else smokes cigarettes and he smokes a pipe (laughs) and the pipe is you know you have to stop and pack it and smoke it right the cigarette instead you buy in bulk and they come in this flashy nice case and you just whip one out whenever you want (laughs) here you go you know it's this cool sexy modern fast new thing right (laughs) and everywhere he goes people offer him a cigarette cigarette and he 
rustles around in his pocket and then digs out his pipe and they go oh of course and it's <laughs> there's no judgment there's no like oh you're not cool he's weird you're old there's oh he chose a pipe instead of cigarettes great done it's just what we're all getting cancer. you know they don't they don't treat him any worse for it right but it's a new thing that he hasn't picked up on and and I, I think that's another reminder. thing. It's it's not violent. Hulot is not mm-hmm. running up against these things and being uh, decry. And, and there's a little bit of that in in Mononcle. The his kind of brother-in-law is very hates Hulot. Doesn't understand him. He's fun, he, He's this weird entity. He doesn't really understand. Get with the times, Hulot. But even even to his detriment, because the the brother-in-law has all these modern d- devices that go wrong, that break. That that make life harder rather than than making it easier. So it, it's but within the context of this film, like it, he's having difficulty navigating these things. But it's not that he's too stupid or that he's not pr- like receptive to learning about them. Or it's even just, that the things are bad. Right. Yeah. It's just about having to adapt. Is yeah. that where you're going with this? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Because yeah, so, that that. Change can be good, but it's not, regardless of whether it's good or bad, it isn't necessarily easy. Right. Ooh, I like it. Sorry if I stole your thunder there. No, that's fine. Like, like, you also helped me land, mind. you, you, you helped know? me land on, on that, which was what I, what I meant was that it, it's not that Hulo is unadaptable. He's mm-hmm. just on a different wavelength and it's going to take him a minute to get You're used to me. it. Cool. Um, which, which again, cause I feel like the, the idea of, of, phrasing it and i think this i saw this in the description you know a commentary on modernity and it's just like okay if, if our character is having a hard time navigating this modernity like that's fine and that's cool but if you're saying that you made the fill as a commentary about modernity and we're supposed to kind of be empathizing with him i feel like that's maybe that's kind of where where i took it as almost like a negative connotation about modernity because it's like, yeah, if we're supposed to be in his shoes and look at all this weird stuff and I can't find a guy I'm supposed to have a meeting with because the world is so big, you know, like, I feel like, you know, that kind of puts it in a spin as opposed to, yeah, like it, it could have been any new situation that he's having a hard time right. adjusting. And it's like, look how funny he's having, it is having a hard time adjust, you know? And it's like, yeah, we could have one movie where, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a city, another movie where he's got a new job and he's got to learn all the, you know, it's like, like with Mr. Bean, you know, yeah, he's always in these awkward situations and watching him bumble through things is funny. But yeah, I feel like if you ever said, Oh, Mr. Bean is a commentary on modern life. then it's just like, okay, is this that Mr. Bean's right? And everything else is, you know, if you're again, Con- commentary doesn't have to have a negative connotation but i guess for me I th- I usually think you, it is if you're making a commentary it you're usually right. happens to be a, a criticism absolutely um, i think i think you're definitely correct in that's how it was presented as modern technology is bad hmm. how how much better would it be if it was simpler and more rural i th- i'm definitely projecting more on it out of def- I, I said I wouldn't be so defensive. I apologize. But no, no, no you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I think I'm just I'm 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 playing with it because I don't want Tati to be a, a MAGA dude. Right. <laughs> and they are all dudes. No, they're not. They're all shitty. Mostly dudes. Not that change is bad, but that it can be troublesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and that I'm down with. Yeah. I'm not I'm not saying you know that that yeah change is easier should be easy and and it's not even that you know as an individual you 
you have to adapt to every change. But yeah, uh, if you're sort of doing it from a point of view of these things shouldn't exist because yeah, they're, they're, because you know, I find and, them difficult. Yeah. 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 And it's like, yeah. And like you said, his brother-in-law is having trouble with all these things, but there could be people who are, are more adept at using these new technologies and is making their life better, you know? So it's just like, you know, and, and, and again, like, uh, yeah, I don't know that they're necessarily saying it from that absolute point of view. Um, and, you know, and, and that's one of the things too, like there were a lot of technologies that I personally was resistant to for a really long time. But I also tried to keep the perspective that it's like, I don't think these things shouldn't exist. You know, it's just that I don't see it helping my life at all. You know? And, yeah. Just to go back to the the travel agency, the posters are so great. And it, it still reinforces that kind of like sci-fi weird dystopic kind of idea. I mean, when they arrive, you see the tour bus and you see their faces reacting to everything, but you never see any monuments except through the reflections. Like, this is set in Paris, but this industrial, this I've never seen Paris like this, right? There's no, nothing like this in Paris, and there wasn't until he built the set, right? So it, it's... I yeah, go ahead. No, no, so sorry. Finish your thought, but it's just like it made me remember something that kind of kind of wraps up a lot of that. Gotcha. Um, just, just the idea that like it's dystopic to think that visit sunny Mexico, big gray building. Visit the USA, Honduras, like Iraq. It's all the same fucking facade, and I just I love that. It's kind of sinister, like the way it's it's portraying it. And, and I like that. And it's also juxtaposed with the dude who's at the counter on the rolly chair kind of dancing so Hulot can see him. Like, I, I that's another sequence I liked a lot. Tim, go ahead. Uh, no, it, it, it made me think of the, the rotary. And, uh, you know, which kind of made me also think of uh, European vacation when they're stuck in the road. But and it's like, and again, like, I don't Oh, the don't roundabout? Know. Yeah. Yeah, sorry if I'm from New England, we call them rotaries. Oh, there. oh. <laughs> it's like, that's a fucking telephone guy. <laughs> Rotary. <laughs> um, but like that that middle lane, like yeah. how small that was, like what possible purpose could that serve? You know, like, and, and that was the thing is like, I couldn't tell if it's like, oh no, there's a reason for that. And that's a real thing. Like, I don't know if it is so that you could get in that middle and just go around a circle endlessly like they like the Griswolds do. Like, oh, look, kids, there's Big Ben in Parliament, like endlessly till the nighttime because he can't get out of there. Um, you know, and I, I know, you know, like, you know, we have, you know, roundabouts and, you know, <laughs> they, they, they serve a purpose, I guess, you know, and but I'm even like thrown when, when one has two lanes. It's like, why does it need a second lane in the middle? Like who is chilling out just circling through this thing like like either you're going to turn right or you're going to turn right the next time or turn right the third time like what why do we need like i have a hard time believing that having a second lane a quote-unquote travel lane makes it easier <laughs> for people who are kind of merging and you know so just seeing that where it was like was it three four lanes or something and that middle one like it basically like had four cars in it because like that's how small it was and how close it, it was just like and, and something you said actually made something click with me too. Like it almost like when you're talking about the, the, the travel agency, like it's almost like it's, it's like, I wonder if like the matrix was influ influenced by this, you know, because it, it kind of almost had that vibe to it. Like everything is kind of gray, had this kind of filter over it. Everything was very kind of like cold and yeah, that idea, Oh, you can go anywhere in the world. And what, well, why is that same building there? You know, almost like there is no other place. Like this is just the only place. And you know, oh, here's this rotary. Here's this thing where you can drive. But, but it's like, 
it, yeah, it seemed like there's no purpose. Like you're just endlessly driving in a circle. And it's like, how do those cars get out? Like there, it looked like there wasn't room for the cars in the inside. Even if they put a directional on for the car in the next lane, the cars in the next lane out to stop and let them in because it was just jam packed with cars. So if they stopped, it, it would just basically stop everyone in that circle. And then the circle just wouldn't be moving. There wasn't room to let a car out. And it, it was, so anyway, like it just, it, it added that, that kind of thing that you were saying about the, it was almost creepy, like this idea of having, you can travel to other places, but there's this one boring building or, you know, here, come to our city and, and get caught in our limbo of traffic where you're just constantly circling for no reason. So I don't know, Scott, like if you said you've, you've been there, do they have rotaries that are that many lanes? Where I mean, it's I, just I like... haven't been to France, but oh, okay. I, and I've been there in the sense of the detachment of place, especially mm -hmm. as a traveler to somewhere else. There's right. definitely the roundabout where the Griswolds were. I've I've right. been there. I've never driven in, and I I didn't watch long enough. I was just trying not to get hit by a double decker bus looking the wrong right. way. Like that <laughs> that was the extent of my. But they they're there. They work. I mean I I don't understand how they work. I hate them when I have to do them here. It it stresses me. There is a European fascination and love of circus music and circus yeah. constructs that i do not understand i i think it's just like it's no longer the the novelty that it was before like it was the only show in town because it was literally the only show in town um but i i when i was watching um fellini's films and there's a few of uh tati's that, and i mean parade is about a circus that's why i haven't watched it because i i just don't have this this fondness for circuses as much I mean, I saw Ringling Brothers maybe three or four years ago, and it was just the most depressing thing I've ever been to. As as a you think about it as a kid, you watch Dumbo, you have like this this fascination, and then you grow up and you realize the animals are abused in this like unhealthy lifestyle and how they've abused people over the year, like the history of those carnivals and and the abuse that people have suffered as a result of them. And it's just I don't know if I could ever get that in my head, but like that that of all the sequences in this movie that go really, really long, that carousel thing was just, I, I, it's clever and I could appreciate it, but that's definitely the part of the movie where it's like, they, you should have fucking ended at the end of the, the, um, I mean, I like the symmetry of the ending because it, it goes, you're on the bus and it has the, mm. she has the flowers that mimic the lights. And then they're going back to fly back to the airport. Like yeah. I, I like the symmetry of that, but the, the carnival, carousel thing is really like it goes on too long <laughs> for me it felt a little out of place that we've already seen the city through a 24-hour period mm -hmm. so to suddenly get this moment of life and color from the city dwellers felt like this isn't a part of the normal day because we saw the normal day so what is this is this sunday or something <laughs> right it felt a little bit it didn't quite mesh for me and i think tatsi has a a, a fascination with cars because he has a whole movie about a car show so i think this might be like a little bit of that lingering and he likes circuses because he had a whole movie about that too so i think i think it's leftovers or ha like like elements from other films maybe i i'm not sure but yeah it, it's that that's a, such a strange thing to say like that felt out of place but it i think it's accurate <laughs> like, i think it definitely like is the most strange thing to have been included Awesome. Cool. I'm I'm 
I'm very satisfied this with was this a good discussion. discussion. Yeah. And I also think it was a good movie, but you know, <laughs> it was at least a good discussion. Everyone can agree. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 And that was the thing after I saw it too. I was like, I didn't enjoy it, but I do have stuff to talk about about it. So I was yeah. like, okay, I feel like that's, that works. <laughs> Sweet. Cool. So is it time for Joel's favorite part? Indeed it is. And I'm going to put it right here. It is It is time for another <laughs> situational movie recommendation. So I assume you have one, Joel, because A, you usually do, but B, you especially have one for your own picks most of the time. Yeah, I, I, th- I think it's, it's a fair um, direction to go to ask what's your favorite movie that incorporates physical humor as a main element of the film oh wow little wordy of a question but i think it's succinct in its methodology (laughs) and i have a number of them obviously this would be i think this one is my favorite but i really like um modern times the chaplet film just the way he gets integrated into machinery i think is brilliant and that's that's a commentary on mechanization but industrialization as as treating workers as components in machinery rather than people which is is brilliant and and really poignant but i also would say uh either errand boy or the bell boy which are uh jerry lewis films um in which there's very little dialogue and it's it's pantomime and it's it's visual gags and it's 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 Jerry Lewis doing what he does best. And the, the, those two films I would highly recommend if we haven't seen them. Those are really good. You're really quiet, but... My really boring answer is that I think it's this one. And I was going to say, oh, it's got to be this one. I loved it so much. And I think it supplanted and went to like think my previous favorite and there wasn't anything. <laughs> and now that you've asked me, the question, I don't know that I ever would have had one. I'm struggling to think of any primarily physical comedy films that I've ever watched. I haven't actually seen an entire Chaplin or Keaton all the way through. So I've, pieced, I've seen lots of pieces, but it doesn't, isn't going to count. And then, I mean, I, you know, what's new, right? Mr. Bean or Get Smart, which are great. I enjoy both of them, right? But I never went, I never just grabbed me the way this did. Again, not even the physical comedy isn't even the thing I loved about this. I just loved this film. So when you say the word physical comedy and other films show up for me, they they don't. Nothing else comes to memory. Mm. So I guess it's this one. Okay. (laughs) All right. Yeah. I don't know if we're just coming up, you know, off of the holidays, but Home Alone, for some reason, is is ringing in my head. Um, That's a good one. And watching it, I feel like there are some moments uh, you know the nail through the foot and, like there are some things that are just like a little bit too uncomfortable to be humor <laughs> on this last rewatch but um no i don't know i feel like that is really built around like the things that this child devises to torture these burglars <laughs> right and the humor is driven a lot from that so that's one that jumped to mind um like i mentioned earlier like dick van dyke show i think dick van dyke was great at pratt falls and a lot of that physical humor um you know another one that's coming to mind is um and this is less about like the i got hit or like i'm hurt that sort of thing but um uh steve martin's pretty great at it too right and i'm thinking of the jerk um when he's rolling through like all i need is you know 
my ashtray and, and my remote and this lamp and this thing and my dog shithead. And then it just cuts to him like rolling down the street with all of the things, like all of his belongings and just dragging things along. Like for some reason that scene and um, I can think of a few other um, of Steve Martin's films that just, you know, he just nails with like the timing of the physical comedy or whether that's like an actual physical movement or like whether that's his commentary plus a movement. Like I think he's good at timing and delivering that sort of humor. So those are my bundle of answers. Um, well, I'm going to take a cue from your just off the holidays um, and uh, Christmas vacation is probably one of my, yeah. one of my favorites. Um, Chevy and- chase is just an incredible physical performer. <laughs> like, yeah, and um, and I think also in that category is uh, not not to the same degree, but um, just friends with Ryan Reynolds and, and Amy Smart and um, uh, uh, Anna Faris. Um, there's not a lot of and and I mean there's not a lot of physical comedy. I mean, some of it has to do with like him being in a fat suit when he was younger because he was like a fat kid and then he grew up and got slim. So there's the you know again it's uh, I guess like there's like you know, I'm assuming slapstick is sort of a subcategory of physical comedy. Um, so some of it's more just, you know, physical. Then again, there is some slaps, uh, slapstick kind of around the middle of the film uh, where he's playing, they're doing, they're, you know, he's playing hockey with a bunch of kids and ends up like doing a slap shot and that puck like bounces off the edge of the goal and hits him right in the mouth. And, you know, they've got him, they've got him strapped into this gurney like up on like you know they're they're on this like frozen pond and he's up and then someone bumps him and he's strapped in and he slides down this hill like a sled it launches him into the air and he lands like face first on back on the fucking frozen lake and they pull him out and he's just got like blood and snow like stuffed into his mouth so like there are like a few little moments in there but also like the physical comedy which is a, a very different kind because you you know again like he was he was fat when he was in high school and he moves to LA and he gets thin and he has to go, you know, and he's kind of become this cool guy, kind of what we kind of picture Ryan Reynolds as, but then as he goes home and he kind of sees the girl he had a crush on again, you see him like kind of also slowly morphing back into the person he was like personality wise and mannerisms wise, like even though he doesn't put the weight on again, but you see him kind of slipping back into who he was when he was at home. And it's a lot more subtle than, than again, wearing the fat suit or the slapstick but it's still really good and really funny um, and how he interacts with his brother. So that's another good one. And then um, of course, you know, like I feel like by, by default, Jim Carrey is probably my favorite sort of like physical comedian. Uh, and I think my favorite of all his stuff is Ace Ventura when nature calls another example <laughs> of a sequel that's better than the original. Um, and, and of course, I mean, I feel like you, you know, he, he's got to be up there. It's just like, I mean, like just every move he makes throughout that entire film is just like comedy, you know? And, and I think what I like about, yeah, what I like he's about the second the, one. He's driving yeah, the Jeep. Yeah, exactly. It's on a paved road. <laughs> you know, like, like every, every movement, like he's, he's always on in that, in that film. And I think what I love about the second one more so than the first one is like the fact that, they established sort of who Ace Ventura was. So you couldn't rely on that base level of comedy. So it, it carried that through, but it's like, but we still need new jokes. And and like, he takes it to the end, like between like the environment that he's in and just like how he's interacting with other people. And 
And, and I think it's also the fact that, you know, he has to kind of kick it up a few notches and, you know, in, in the way everyone around him is so normal, like, it's not like, you know, the, it, it's like you're, it's almost like you're watching Who Framed Roger Rabbit, where it's like, there's a real world in like one or two animated characters. It's almost like he's a cartoon. See, I, I love that movie. I didn't even think of it as Me physical either. comedy. I didn't either. It's just Jim Carrey. So I the guess Grinch is the same way. That, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Gosh. With in Ace Ventura, where he's got the sticks and he's at the Akala tree and he's playing it like a drone. <laughs> Thank you, Joe Cardin. Good day. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> just, yeah, just everything. Every, and like, and, and with the uh, um, Spike with the monkey, you know, yeah. like I usually don't like animal comedy, like, you know, but like, just like, you know, how he like gets himself out and is just like, yeah, fuck you, see it. You're going over to the waterfall. Like, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> And the, you know him, him spinning spitballs at the guy who's doing the trial where he's gonna like balance and and he's doing that for so long before you see what he's actually spitting spitballs right. at like so anyway so yeah so just like that you know I feel like there's a lot you could talk about with Jim Carrey but that one that one tops it for me I also like he I feel like he does it subtly sometimes too like uh, Yes Man I think is a good example of what his more subtle or like liar liar you know when he's he's Jim Carrey trying to pretend to be a normal person, but it slips through and you see that bit of exaggeration, which sometimes I do enjoy that more, but just like, you know, for, for talking all out physical comedy, it's definitely when nature calls. In Liar Liar, when he has his Tyler Durden moment, like self fighting oh, moment. Yeah. <laughs> I was also going to say like Tom and Jerry and Looney Tunes are great mm -hmm. examples of kind of like that violence. Um, oh, of course. <laughs> of course. And then, for some reason, I'm thinking of Tropic Thunder, when Stiller has the 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 prosthetics that he got his arms blown off, and they're just like these rubbery, awful things. And uh, uh, Downey Jr. goes off camera because he's like, "You lost the fucking moment." And he's just like, "I'm ready to do the scene now," and he's flopping the prosthetics around. I, that's not really like <laughs> anything like thought out physically but like I, I for some reason that made me think of that was the one there i was thinking of is when stiller's getting shot right and he's like <laughs> yeah going back and forth with his body and then it cuts to robert downey jr's face and you just survive <laughs> that's one of my favorite moments um another one that i thought of was uh one that i was introduced to pretty early was um what aside from and and tom and jerry and looney tunes are probably the earliest, right? Yeah. Um, I think for a live action movie, one of the earliest ones would be Weekend at Bernie's. Oh, um, yeah. Something that like <laughs> cracked me up as a kid or like fascinated me, right? Like you've got a dead body, right? And then manipulated by the two guys and like that's its character of its own is like them dragging him around and making him do like a live person thing. <laughs> um, I think is just one of the earliest moments of like, uh, you know, I remember watching that pretty young and just cracking up because of the physical humor there and to go back to the birdcage like the 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 eclectic oh, celebration yeah. of a dance sequence which was all improv you two twyla twyla fussy 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 madonna madonna like it, it, it's but you keep it all inside like robin i mean obviously moved like no one else moved and had so much energy and in a movie that has a lot of physical humor, like that, that scene is just outstanding. <laughs> I love that movie. That's a good movie. <laughs> Another one that that made me think of is uh, Tommy Boy, 
Chris Farley. <laughs> yeah, like he's, oh, right. he's gotta give Chris Farley a shout out for physical humor. Yeah. yeah. The man could move so well. Yeah. Oh, with the, like the when he takes the bong hit and he gets like out of it real quick and falls into the uh, uh, coffee oh, table yeah. and it shatters. And he just like falls. Speaking of coffee tables, did you guys see Game Night? No, I still haven't Fairly seen recent. that. No. I Same love game night. Yeah. <laughs> it's a yeah, phenomenal movie. So that one where the like the plays me for the game night all the time. The one guy's brother is in town and he says, Oh yeah, I set up this like real life murder mystery. And then real criminals kick the door down and kidnap him. So our players think it's the game the whole time. But you know. <laughs> but that has a running joke where people get tossed into coffee tables, like flipped over each other and punched <laughs> off and like sw- and every coffee table in the film holds up perfectly fine. They're all glass. They just boom. And like eventually after the fifth time it happens, the one character just says, man, there are some strong ass coffee tables in this town. <laughs> like, you know, they're, they're purposefully making fun of all the films that break everything the characters touch, you know, <laughs> everything is solid and secure and real. Right. Game Night's such an underrated and under the radar. Just yeah. Hilarious movie. That's a phenomenal film. Oh man. <laughs> That was a good uh, situational recommendation, Joel. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, like that. I feel like it pulled up the whole genre that we like forgot existed. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, for for Jim Carrey stuff, I always think of that as its own genre. Like, I don't even. I I mean, he was a god to me as a kid. Like, I obviously can still quote things verbatim from his movies. Like, I. So I didn't even think, but like that's all physical humor. His, his stuff, like Dumb and Dumber, like it, it's all physical. <laughs> so, Scott, so. you are choosing a movie <laughs> so. that is a long time fucking coming on this podcast. Yes. It's been on the list since the beginning. It's I yes. One could describe it as... Wait, wait, wait. wait. It's, as mentioned, we always take turns picking. Joel just finished, so I'm next up. And Yes, it's. I'm bringing Citizen Kane. It's finally happening, <laughs> and I have more to say about this than I usually do. You know, I, I like to just say, "Here's my film. Here's a brief sentence." I I have more to say. Old films. We've watched some old films. Lots of old films are called good, and they enter the pantheon, and then people watch them in the modern day and go, "This is crap," right? I think there are a lot of reasons for that, and I think part of the reason is that eventually, a a, uh, a film is nothing more than its story and the way the story is told. And mostly it's just the story, right? Anything else, the fancy new technology, the cool new perspective, anything else that's new, eventually it's not new, right? Um, you know, I, I, the Maltese Falcon is something I've said before, I think is kind of overrated. I don't think the plot is super great or funny or or followable. I don't kind of care about the characters, right? I don't even think it's a noir. I think it's a proto-noir. But it's important, right? It inspired a lot of what came after, a lot of which I love, a lot of noir, right? So I recognize that it's an important film, even if when I watch it, I finish bored, right? On the other hand, I think Casablanca is phenomenal because the story it's telling about all these people and their different concerns that are global and personal and how they weave together is beautiful. And so even when you remove it from the context of World War II, it's still just a really interesting tale about all these people's lives intersecting in a dangerous way. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think Blue Skin Avatar is a good modern example, right? 
Blue Skin Avatar. <laughs> I watched that in the theater, and it was the first film I ever watched where the 3D was not only it was it was phenomenal. It yeah. was like this is it. I get it now. This is why 3D is the future of cinema. Boom, right? But the film itself is good. It's a great action movie. The effects are great. The actors put on good performances, but it's the same story we've seen before, you know, Pocahontas again. And now when I go back and rewatch it, especially at home without any 3D, it's another good action movie. Shrug. Which again, I shrug is bad. more than good, <laughs> but that's right. just me. <laughs> there are people out there who, who love it, who it's their yeah. favorite. Again, no, for great. sure. They're not wrong, but just right. That historically, I think in 50 years, people are going to be studying Avatar as a really important film of digital filmmaking, but I don't think people are going to go watch it at the Alamo and go, oh, this is great. You know, I do think Citizen Kane is good. I do think it holds up, but part of the reason it's so famous is because of things that won't be interesting to you anymore. The camera, the camera work was dynamic and the way things moved changed based on time period, on location, on the people involved and all those little subtle things, things you don't necessarily pick up on, but which affect your viewing experience are now normal. You know, they're class two in camera work, right? Everyone does it. So you're not going to notice and it's not going to affect you the same way. The very plot, which is where the whole point is that Kane has died and this investigator is trying to dig up the, the explanation behind his last word, Rosebud. The whole framing device is that the, the reporter goes to people who knew him. And so for each of these people, they frame a certain section of Kane's life, right? His old campaign manager was when he was running for politics. His old... You know, teacher was when he was at school. His old wife when he did this. Ding, ding, ding. And each of them are these chapters, right? And they open and close, bookended by interviews with the people who knew Kane, which themselves are visually distinct in the atmosphere and the, the lighting and everything. And then the camera work is different. And that was, you know, new for the time. That very concept of let's have this plot that reveals itself to us one piece at a time, each one bookended, that all comes together into a coherent puzzle. But now, I mean, come on, guys. How many films have you seen that do that? So many films, especially mysteries, right? It's so normal. So in that sense, right, Kane is not the best film ever, and it's not going to be for you guys. It's, it's not going to be any of that mind-blowing, this has changed the way I look at cinema. It's just a movie, and it's in black and white. But the story it tells about the man Kane and his last, his dying breath of Rosebud. And this reporter who tries to dig up the story and find the history of a man and asks the question, what is a man's life? And how do you sum it up? That story is phenomenal. And I think it's gonna, I think you're gonna like it. So come at it as a personal story about a man and about what it is to live and not as a landmark of cinema. Because so much of what it's done is no longer remarkable because it became normal because everyone does it now you know and that's what i bring it to you as and yeah like i said i i just bring it to you as a film that i like that just happens to be old (laughs) sure you know a good story and part of the reason i'm bringing it now okay that's part of the reason it's languished on the list for so long because i'm bringing it as just a film i like right and not the best film ever but then the reason it got pushed forward is because mank just came out Mm -hmm. which is about the guy who wrote the screenplay for Citizen Kane, starring Gary Oldman, looks incredible. I have to see it. I have to see it with some of you or all of you. <laughs> and I was talking to Joel about it and was like, so when are we going to see Mank? And he said to me, well, I haven't seen Kane yet because I was waiting for the first experience to be the podcast. All right, done. it's up, it's first. So there it is, all right. <laughs> so there it is. 
so I, I yeah it's an interpersonal story about people and about one life and i think that's going to be really interesting but that's all i don't think it's going to be as joel was going to say earlier the citizen Kane of movies <laughs> <laughs> it all came back i'm really right. excited I, I also like how you flexed on me. Like I give no context and you're like, here's what's going to happen. <laughs> you no, did a, I, a, a, no. a, uh, what's her name? Oh, Hannah. What's Hannah her Montana. name? No, no. <laughs> no, uh, Douglas, Nanette. Uh, I don't know. Tim. I just, you know, I wanted oh, to do uh, the usual uh, spiel. Uh, yeah. Hannah Gatsby. Hannah Gatsby, who's going to tell you how the the comedy show is going to go, and then you're still going to laugh oh. at it. See, no, I just I'm cutting just all that out. Give you the That's spiel gone. about how every month we change, and here's who's next. I didn't no, want to. You're good. You're you know. good. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so Citizen Kane is next. I think it's going to be great. Sweet. Oh, I'm excited. Yeah. And I am excited because I again, even though it's just quote unquote just a good movie, right? I do think it's really good, and I think the plot twists and winds and turns together in a really interesting way. So I'm really excited to share it with you guys. Who else has seen it? I've seen it. Yeah, I have. Okay. Awesome. Cool. Ooh, do you do so you that... agree with me, Zeke? About do you think it's good on its own merit? I mean, I'll, so I'll <laughs> you guys are just save, pre. No, I'll save, save some of this for the for the next time. But yeah. there was another movie too. I think Hoop Dreams, and then something else. But I watched it in eighth grade. Right. So I don't know. Like eighth grade Zeke doesn't know shit about anything. So I'm very excited. Like it'll be a first watch basically because I do okay. not remember middle school, but I have cool. seen it. But I don't know. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. I like the new tag teams. People who haven't seen it. <laughs> People who have. Yeah. Sweet. So yeah, should we get, and actually, depending on how this goes, that might kick off me just bringing you a bunch more old movies, frankly. <laughs> You're going to pull a Tim and have a whole year planned out. <laughs> anyway, next month, Citizen Kane. And uh, listeners, thank you for tuning in to us. This was a really great conversation. This one, we're, and the last yeah. one too. I think we're nailing a new formula that is interesting and concise yeah yeah thank you all for joining me again i'm really itching to get back together in person the end is in sight <laughs> for now thank you all for putting up with zoom and thank you listeners for tuning in until next month uh, be well bye 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 did you know movie mumble has its very own twitter account please follow us on twitter at movie mumble ntg and tweet at us with questions reviews or recommendations of things you'd like us to watch next